Coming up next, The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy. Every Thursday from 4pm, right here on RCR. Reality Check Radio. People are struggling to have conversations and connect with others that they don't completely agree with on every topic. And I think that's probably the biggest problem that we need to try and solve is how after all this division and after all this separation, do we end up bringing people together again? And what does unity really look like? New Zealand faces some pretty big issues. First one is COVID in the aftermath. There's no getting away from that. Second is racial division. It's being ginned up and it's dangerous. Another issue that maybe people haven't got their head around yet is digital currency. What form does that take? Is it programmable? Will it be used to manipulate behaviour and patterns of behaviour? Those questions need to be asked and answered. How can you have fair, open, democratic government by people who are appointed? It's a ridiculous idea. And if that idea is taken to its zenith, then this country is in real trouble because democracy, one person, one vote, where every vote is of equal value, has got to be the foundation of a modern New Zealand. What's true, what's not true, how our kids are to be educated. And, you know, I have a great fear for the future. I think we know from history where this could end up. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy, right here on RCR. Welcome to The Crunch on Reality Check Radio. I'm your host, Cam Slater, and this is the place where we crunch the political issues and cut through the politicians' spin. This week's the last show of the year, and then I'll be taking a longish break to recharge my batteries. I thought I'd close out the year with some Christmas music and touch base with a couple of new ministers. Well, one is a little bit older, but new to this government. First up, I'll have a yarn with Casey Costello, and then I'll get Shane Jones back to start what he's promising to be a regular Kororo with him as a senior minister in the new government. Of course, we have the last mailbag of the year, and we'll close out the show with Cam's buddies and see what they have to say about the best of this past year and their hopes for the new year. Don't forget to send comments to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. You're listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater, right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio. Merry Christmas, listeners. Yes, we're allowed to say that again. And I've got to tell you all that for the first time in a long time, I feel the future for New Zealand is bright again. We've had a torrid and sometimes nasty last six years, but especially the last four. But with the election and the formation of a new government, one that is anti-woke, pro-action, anti-red tape, we now have freedom back in the game. This year has been a tough one for me, but I feel so blessed that I can use my brain and my voice to influence politics and media. 
my remaking of myself into a kinder, nicer Kim has been especially pleasing. And plenty of you probably thought when I started my show that I'd be my combative, normal, old self. Well, hopefully, you are pleasantly surprised by what you've heard this year. My faith is my rock, and now I do everything in my life with a focus on that first and everything else second. I've grown a great deal, especially in the last year, and the show has been a huge part in that growth. I hope it's showing. I've changed. It's a shame others can't accept that or even see it and define who I am based on the lies and the falsehoods the mainstream media perpetrate about me. There's none so blind as those who will not see. But everyone has baggage. Brave folk don't let that define them. They acknowledge the past and move on improvingly along the way. And one thing I've tried to do with the show is have courageous discussions, ones where we don't shy away from the uncomfortable or the controversial. Reality Check Radio lives with this with each and every host. We've treated our guests with respect rather than contempt. We've let them speak and share their ideas instead of browbeating them and trying to score points. We've actually spoken truth to power by letting people reveal themselves. The other media are frightened by what we've achieved. They should be. We've only just begun. We couldn't have done everything that we have achieved without your support. So a big thanks to all of you for everything you've done to support the mission. But the mission isn't finished. And we now need to make sure that the coalition government is held to their promises, that they deliver everything they've agreed to deliver. Already we're seeing huge changes, and we know they're huge because of the squealing from the vested interests and their pals in the mainstream media. Most importantly is the work that has begun to get rid of the Therapeutic Products Act. And the other vitally important thing that I know listeners of RCR want to see some action on is promised changes to the inquiry into the COVID rubbish. New Zealand First must deliver on that. And we will be constantly reminding them of it too. But when you look back on what RCI has achieved, there are so many home runs, or sixes if you prefer, where we've literally hit the ball out of the park. I'm so very proud of what we've achieved together and so very proud to have been part of it. So I wish you all a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Here's to new beginnings and new challenges and keeping up with those courageous discussions. Want an easier way to listen to RCR? Well, you can now download the brand new Reality Check Radio app, both on iOS and Android. We've completed our beta testing and the app is now live. You can visit the App Store's direct or find out all you need to know at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash app. That's at realitycheck.radio forward slash app. Our test bunnies have been hard at play to ensure you have access to everything, from listening to our live broadcast, downloading some of our incredible interviews, and checking out the latest blogs all from the very same app. So get listening and download the RCR app now. We've had Casey Costello on The Crunch before. She's brilliant, plain speaking, and now she is a shiny new minister in the coalition government. She joins me now. Welcome back to The Crunch, Casey. Good to have you. 
Thanks very much, Cam. Good to be here. I think this is the third time, isn't it, that we've spoken? Um, but now you're a minister. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Things have changed a wee bit since the uh, campaign trail sort of narrative. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You've got a hefty set of portfolios uh, are there. You know, you're the Associate Minister of Immigration, the Associate Police Minister, which I imagine uh, you've got some former colleagues that are sitting there raising their eyebrows a little bit about that, <laughs> going from police association to associate minister. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit of a, a bit of trip to the other side of the room. Yeah, yeah. Uh, customs, seniors and health. It's a pretty hefty workload for a new minister. Yeah, it's um, still working through the delegations on the associate portfolios, so that'll, um, yeah, there's still a bit of work to be done around that, but um, Ministry for Seniors and Customs sort of and going into the busy time of year as well, so. Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I've i known a couple of Customs Ministers over the years, and uh, one of the less savoury uh, jobs that they used to have to do, I don't know what it's still like, today, and I guess you haven't found out yet, but part of it was uh, the ministers had to view imported videos or DVDs for classification um, if they needed to be done urgently. Uh, and there was all sorts of appalling things that would come through customs now, but I guess with streaming these days, it probably isn't isn't a, no. a big, big workload no. around that. No, nothing like that's come across my desk, thank goodness. <laughs> so, yeah. Well, you're in for a treat when you do, when <laughs> it yeah. does. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It's just people aren't aware just of the sort of workload that a minister does. So just to start off today, just give us an idea of, uh, or give the listeners an idea of what a workload of a minister who has five portfolios, whether they're associate minister or not, what sort of, what that sort of work that entails. Oh, yeah, it's been a real um, – because even though I work down here, you kind of you, – you don't sort of pick up kind of how much is involved, but the first part of it is getting up to speed, um, massive amounts of reading on the different portfolios, the key issues facing them, and then you've got to align that to the the um, commitments that you've made in terms of the coalition agreement, mm. the stuff, the work that we've got to get done and, and what you need to do to make – those things happen, um, and that's you know, particularly for something like the the um, minister for seniors, that works across different portfolio in terms of other ministers that that um, you know provide those services. Whether it's the minister of health or the minister of social development, there's other agencies that you've got to work with. So that's building those relationships. Um, but yeah, when when someone said to me, you know, I'll I'll try and get you, you know, because I've been on the other side of the table, I'll try and get you half an hour with the minister. It really is like that. Your calendar is literally, um, you know, racing from um, one meeting into the house, out of the house. You've got your your house duty, your obligations to be in the house for periods of time. Um, yeah, so it's it's. Full on, and, and I think because there's so much for me to to learn and mm. read and catch up on and and know what's going on, that's kind of um, yeah, very long days. And then because we've been in urgency um, each week as well, Even so longer. That, that yeah extends the days out a wee bit. So yeah, mm. you know, you get a lot of people don't understand uh, how the system works. You become the minister. Uh, Technically, you're responsible for a whole lot of things, but the reality is, is that you have a whole bunch of officials 
that come to you with briefing documents and it's really a, a sanitized version of all the work that they may have done. And then you're in a position where you have to make a decision, but you don't have all the information at hand. The information's yeah. in the hands of the ministers. And if you're like the last government, their ministers never questioned their officials, never said, well, hang on a second, how do you come to that, th that thought process or what, how do you come to that conclusion? Are you prepared for that? And I think that's one of the, it's almost like an advantage because I'm so new to this mm. that I I don't even know what a dumb question is. I, I just, all I know is that I've come from, I mean, when, when you're sort of, your only real adult job was in the police and becoming a detective, mm. you just ask questions and you just keep asking questions. And if it doesn't make sense, you keep asking questions. And I suppose it's the, the luxury of knowing that, that I, I literally know nothing. So therefore every question is justifiable to me and, and you just keep asking. Um, and you can see it's it's this um, desire to know more and to mm. be informed as, as best you can is, is the biggest skill you can have in this role is to just, you know, not, not have a once over likely that every piece of paper you have to read it, you know, you have to know what's the content because you're putting your name to it, you're signing it off, you're saying mm. that you've acknowledged and accepted it. And if I don't agree or I don't know, you know, your your, your stack of two discuss pile gets bigger and bigger. But you know, that's 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 why I'm here. That's that's what I came in to do. So yeah. yeah. There's all sorts of things that little landmines out there, aren't there? I mean, you're in you've just, you know, got your warrant as a minister. And then you're thrown in the deep end with this uh, smoking legislation and the vested interests that are wailing about tobacco control and all of those sorts of things. And I saw a, a news article, uh, when was it? Hold on, I'll just bring it up. Uh, I saw a news article back on the 13th, so what are we, seven? That's a week ago, about mm. snuff and smokeless tobacco. And I saw that they quoted you saying, well, I need some more information on this. And, of course, these health uh, people, the vested interests in, in keeping – I mean, this is the thing that really rips my undies with these so-called health people is that they've got so many vested interests in it, yet they accuse everybody else of vested interests. I mean, their entire being exists around trying to stop this or stop that, and their funding relies on it. Mm. But – you know, you, you said, you know, I think Sweden's one of the first countries in Europe to reach below the 5% threshold. That's a, a really important comment there that probably most readers of the Herald didn't understand yeah. because that 5% threshold is Ash's own metric for saying that a generation is smoke-free. Yeah. But this is a thing. These health professionals that are in this industry are pushing this uh, narrative uh, that anything that contains nicotine is bad for you. I know from my own personal experience that that's just not true. It's not because I'm an advocate for smoking. I'm not. I, I despise cigarettes. I think they're horrible things. I think they're a pernicious, nasty, addictive product that has no merits as a product in any way, shape, or form, other than they're an inefficient way to deliver nicotine. Now, you might not know this, but nicotine is very, very important and a key product 
that helps people recover from strokes. No, I didn't. No, I didn't know that, yeah. Now, I know this because I've had a stroke, right, five years ago. I took up cigar smoking so I could get as much nicotine into my system as I could uh, in the shortest possible amount of time Uh, because nicotine helps neuroplasticity. And a lot of strokes happen because of a lack of neuroplasticity. But the, these health people, they really annoy me because they're always saying we need to ban this because it's got nicotine in it, you know, and that's why they're talking about snooze and and chewable tobaccos and things like that because it got nicotine. And and the thing that I found amazing was Professor Chris Bullen said, um, and he says he specialises in tobacco control, right? He's not convinced more smoking alternatives were needed in New Zealand. Really? Like, seriously, is is this guy on the same planet as us? This is the, um, and I think it was an unfortunate situation where the media got out in front of this story before mm. we did. Yeah, um, because the 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 narrative got that ran away was that you know we're going to repeal the smoke free legislation, and that was never what was discussed or proposed. Um, there was components of it mm. that were. Um, just and and as I said in previous interviews, that it was just bad legislation. It was it was um, not not going to deliver the outcome we were trying to achieve, and therefore it was, you know, it was a, an opportune time to step back and go. Our objectives are the same. We still want to achieve those targets. We still want to reduce the harm that mm. you know the health harm. Um, that's occurring. We just I think there's a different way of going about it. And yeah. and I think it's and, and even at the time when the bill was debated, when the legislation was first debated, um, you know, even even the Green Party were arguing against this concept of prohibition as being a solution. You know, we we just and it was a pseudo-prohibition. There's no way around it. It was a pseudo-prohibition that they were putting in place and making the retailers have to be the policing of it you know they were going to be at the front end of you know we were going to reach a stage where you could be a 35 year old man with four children but because you were born after 2009 you couldn't buy tobacco but um you know your mate who was born you know six months before you could and that was the reality of what we we're going to deliver mm. so and, and at this stage that's what we're trying to do is look at all of it and exactly as you say Look at products and get advice, and and come up with something that that is workable. And the latest um, health survey results had us down at six point eight percent smoking. So so we're tracking down faster than they had projected without any of these um, initiatives being implemented. Um, so the the cost and the burden on retailers to to put this in place, um, you know, w- it was timely that we step back and had a look at it. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing the media, I think, have let the public down uh, by never questioning anything that, that Labor implemented. I mean, you're talking about the age restriction there where anybody born after a certain day would never be able to to buy a tobacco product. Mm. Um, you know, as you say, a pseudo-ban that was arbitrary. It came up out of the minister's mind where that line was going to be drawn. They could have drawn it anywhere, but they chose to draw it there. The other thing that they had was, you know, this talk about, oh, there's going to be 8,000 extra Kiwis killed um, because they're going, we're going to um, remove 
their low tobacco uh, or their low nicotine tobacco regulation. And again, this was a pseudo ban on cigarettes. The, mm. the New Zealand market is so small. By having that in effect, they were saying, well, if you don't get your nicotine levels down in your tobacco, which is a little hard as you grow it, you know, and it's got nicotine mm. in it naturally. I mean, even tomatoes have nicotine in them. But they were effectively putting in place a ban without having a ban because they didn't have the courage to say they were going to ban cigarettes as of the state. Boom. Yeah. And they and they didn't do it. So they were pretending to care. But the reality was is that if you're addicted to nicotine, you're going to try and get that hit no matter what. So if we've got uh, cigarettes with lower nicotine tobacco, guess what you're going to do? You're going to smoke more cigarettes, even though it's lower nicotine levels. And they just can't see these things. I mean, the age restriction one, that cohort of of, uh, of people is already under 5% without having any ban, which is Ash's own designation of what a smoke-free generation is. Yeah. But and, nobody and explains that to the public. And so you're yeah. demonized and made out to be this evil group of people that are going to kill 8,000 people. I mean, we, we never can believe those numbers after the pandemic anyway. Yeah, and, and that was another one of the, the modelling pathways. But I, I think that at the end of the day, the, the, the work's underway um, and in and, and time when we come out with some solutions that the, the – yeah, you know, I, I hope there's a fair audience in terms of what we're trying to achieve here. Because the objective, you know, we've we've got the same goal, and and I think also in a society you've got to balance up the number of things that are causing harm and and placing communities at risk. Um, there's a whole range of them, and this is getting some balance around the the yeah. level of harm and risk this is causing. When you look at you know the the epidemic of methamphetamine, and mm. you've got the alcohol harm, and you've there's a whole you know just um, violent crime, all of those sort of things. It's it's kind of um, it was a it was a story that kind of grew legs in the absence of you know anything else happening at the time. But I think things have quietened down, and people are getting a bit more rational about what we're trying to achieve here. Yeah, I don't think these people be rational though. I mean, you've got Prof- Professor Chris Bullen saying. Chewing tobacco is likely to be a lot less harmful than smoking tobacco, but it's not completely safe. I mean, that's just a ridiculous statement right from the get-go. For a start, we know that chewing tobacco is a lot less harmful than smoking tobacco. It's the combustion of tobacco that puts all of the chemicals and everything into you. But to say it's not completely safe, if that's the guideline that they're operating to, then you have to question, well, okay, if we don't want to have things that are not completely safe in the marketplace, (laughs) then hello, let's have a look at vaccines, (laughs) you know, (laughs) for a start. I mean, this is the stupidity, but I think you you may be expecting more from these people than they're willing to give because their position is uh, one of prohibition effectively. No nicotine is good nicotine in their world without even thinking about people like me who it's benefited hugely. And, and, then- and I think I think what we've got to go back to is that the nature of, um, you know, as, as you've said, that the people elect parliament, we have a government now, and and at the end of the day, it's it's our role, which is, you know, we've been completely transparent, it's our role to deliver on what our coalition agreement is committed to, and um, I think it's just making sure who's actually driving the ship 
is the people that voted as opposed to the bureaucrats um, and, you know, that the, the proofs in the pudding, I think, as we move forward. Yeah, I mean, it's just astonishing, though, the contortions that they'll go through to stop, uh, you know, absolutely everything. Um, that, that's got nicotine in it. And I mean, you see their irrational responses to vaping, for instance. Um, which is you know ninety eight percent more beneficial, well, not beneficial, but less harmful uh, than cigarette smoking. But oh no, because it's got nicotine in it. Um, oh, that's bad. We need to stop that. And there's this moral outrage about vaping and kids vaping and all of this sort of stuff. Well, you know, kids are going to do what kids do. If you make it illegal, they'll find a way. And if they're going to vape, they're going to vape. But not all of them are going to do it. Yeah. But it's and, better and that they vape than, than, than smoke cigarettes. It just is. Yeah, and and that's the the the, the logic that and I, the concern I had about when you when something's prohibited, you make it more attractive, not less. And smoking has has generally become less and less attractive to younger people. It's it's just not the it's not the go to position. So that was happening naturally. And I, my concern is as soon as you say it's prohibited, you can't do it, then it suddenly has a elevated attractiveness. So, yeah, so I think I think we've, we're on the right path. We've got the good discussions going and we've got, um, and there's a whole range of advice that we're working through to make sure we've got all the information we need to make some really good decisions moving forward. Yeah. Yeah, I mean. A big, uh, big portfolio. It is. And, you know, that's not helped by people like Janet Hoke, who are saying things that while these products have contributed to reduce smoking rates overseas, New Zealand experts on tobacco control are sceptical about whether they would be successful here. But they mm. present no evidence to back that up. And, and, the, and the reporter in the article uh, didn't say, and why is that? <laughs> you know, and so I'm hoping that you, as a minister, is going to ask those questions. Why is that? What's your evidence? Yeah. Show us you're working, right? Yeah, and and that's that's what I see our role is. I mean, the the ministerial role is is a lot more important than you know. I think people realise is it's that because you have the authority to ask those questions and demand the information and get the the, the facts to you. Um, and keep digging until you get to the point that you are, are satisfied that you've got all the mm. information. And I think that's why broad engagement is so important. Um, um, getting and that's you know, you know, real objective of mine is to make sure that I'm getting out and about, that I'm not reliant on um, what's in the office. That you actually get mm. out and, and and maintain those connections to the broader community. Because um, yeah, I, I get. I get the sense that you could become very locked in here because of you know the hours, and you, you've really got to make that effort to continue to be out and about. Yeah, and consult widely. But I guess your yeah. training as a detective isn't you know you had so long in that role that it's ingrained. It's a habit to, for you to ask questions all the time until you get. And, and, I th and it's similar to to what you know what you know interviewers like yourself and mm. you know when you talk to people a lot, you get to understand. You know who's telling you the truth, who's who's evading you, who's you know that's a credible person, that's not a credible person, all of those sort of things. It's just that it's almost a, a visceral sort of reaction you have when you're talking to people about, yeah, this is a person that I can, you know, I'm confident and and I, I think that kind of puts you in good stead. I think the more you've 
engaged with people and worked with people across all societies. Um, and and that's, I, I think, the advantage. And, you know, so when you've worked with a right, wide range of people and you kind of get to understand how to make people come together and, and work well together and all those sort of things. So those are the sort of skills that I think, you know, when I kind of weighed up that I don't have the political expertise, but you kind of look at the other stuff you bring to the table and, um, I, you know, and I, I know how to work hard, so. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Your role as Associate Police Minister, what, what areas of responsibility do you have with, with that role? So we're still working through the delegations, Um mm. And that's kind of, it's hard because, you know, you've got new ministers and all the roles still trying to get their head around their own portfolios and how delegations would work. Mm -hmm. So with each of the um, ministers, you know, we've sort of sat down and worked through, A, what we're we're trying to achieve through the coalition, the commitments that we've made, um, and how does those delegations can be allocated based upon what New Zealand First Coalition Agreement says and how I can um, progress those in each of those areas. So um, still a lot of process to work through around how those delegations would work. And they need to be in a way that it makes sense that, you know, mm. you've got something that you can be directly responsible for and you're not kind of given something that you're partially responsible for, otherwise it gets really messy. So, yeah, we'll, we'll work through the process and um, hopefully in the new year we'll kind of finalise all of that stuff and we can make announcements. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to seeing that. My particular area of interest with regards to police is how they're going to handle the devolution of the Firearms Safety Authority out of the police into the new areas. You know, I, I, I hope that is uh, hastened along quickly. Um, Nicole McKee mm. has that um, specific Mm. responsibility, Um, you know, great, great person, just fantastic Mm. and and a real, um, and and just the expertise, but also her her capacity to kind of work with people. She's, you know, I really respect her. Her and Karen Shaw, I think, have got, you know, big responsibilities, but they're definitely the right people for the job. I've been really impressed. Yeah, I mean, I've always been impressed by Nicole, and she's got a, a hard job to deal with that, you know, it, because I've watched over the last four years the police lobby, uh, and I know that they've lobbied uh, MPs or politicians because they all spout the same thing. They're saying, oh, no, the police tell us that we need to do this because of this. Mm. But that's the problem that I that I've seen with politicians is they listen to the police when it comes to things like firearms, when the police are actually amongst the worst firearms users in the nation, you know, and they're cooking the books in terms of statistics. I mean, you know, the, one of the things that that you know, as a member of Antique Arms, we see this all the time. We always get called up by the police to come and advise them on certain things to do with firearms because they don't have the skill set to do it. And yet, on the other hand, they're lobbying the minister, saying we need to have a register because um, of this massive problem with straw briars. And no one ever says, well, what? how how big is this problem with straw mm. buyers, right? And, and you will have heard this. You would have heard this over yeah. the time, straw buyers. But they only ever come up with one example of a guy that they caught before we had a register. So, so it's not even, like, even relevant. But that's the sort of level that the police have been pushing uh, as in their 
hostility towards firearms owners, uh, and they almost have a have a behaviour that we're guilty until proven innocent. But we're actually just mass murderers that are going to commit a crime at some point, and we're going to catch you before you do that. Because that's how my interact. I mean, I used to be a G man. I used to stand and support the police and everything they do until I became a collector. And then it just became every interaction that I had with the police was a negative one when it could, should have been a positive one. There is a bit of a culture out there amongst the police. And I know you used to be a police officer, but it's changed. It seriously has. And, and it changed after, obviously, after, after Christchurch. But there's, and, two, there's uh, 250,000 people like me who are no longer G-men. I, I think that's the challenge too is that it's the, the machine of policing, mm. which is the, the, the entire bureaucracy and, and not to lose sight that within that big machine, it's, it's a similar thing you know, when you, when you talk about the health system and when you talk collectively about the organisation, there's real disappointment. But individuals within those organisations are outstanding. Absolutely, and, and 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 that's that's what I think is is the the as we move forward, and and I wonder how much of it is, and you know that, and that's what I hope to to discover is that whole, um, you know, the bureaucracy that that's kind of eaten up frontline operational organisations, mm. and how much um, is needing to be done to give the frontline people who do the job, do it well and know how to do it and know how to deal with things um, and, and give them the authority and autonomy to, to get on and do their jobs and pull some of this other stuff away because that's that's what I, I recognise is that, you know, the, I've still got really good friends and colleagues that mm. are in the job doing fantastically who are weighed down by a bureaucracy and it's the same in the health system, it's the same in education. You've got great people that are almost despite the organisation that they're part of still able to do good things and that's that's kind of where I, I want to see that focus shift back to allow those people um, you know, I, I used to use the anecdote that, you know, you've got more people wandering around with clipboards um, <laughs> telling you how to do your job than you've got actually doing it, you know. Mm. Yeah, the reality is that, you know, you look at our rural police stations that you, were the backbone of New Zealand. They were the guy that you yeah. went to and knew everything going on in their towns. They did. And we and we started shutting those stations down. We lost 24-7 presence. We, you know, all of those sort of things that... Um, for what purpose, and and that's the stuff that I I kind of want to recognise that there's just really great people doing great stuff individually, and how does the organisation support them to excel rather than weigh them down? Um, yeah, I, mean, I, and, I know. And I think that's our job. Yeah, I know, I kind of know that through my own family. I mean, obviously, my cousin Greg was a a, mm. a, a sole charge a police officer in, in Waiuku. He had to rely on himself. Um, yeah. Then that's all sort of gone now. But um, yeah. Yeah, in terms of the bureaucracy, Wayne, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I think it's pleasing from my perspective at least to see the ultimate poacher turn gamekeeper in you, in yourself and Mitch both being having active roles in the police on the front line, knowing exactly what's going on 
And I don't think it's ever happened before in in the history of police ministers or associate police ministers where you've got ex-coppers who are on the front line in these roles now who can actually say to the commissioner, well, hang on a second. Now, let's think about the front line here. And, uh, you know, I think that's a a refreshing change. And uh, I think we're already seeing the benefits of that. I mean, there was a gang funeral last weekend uh, in Wakatani, 15 arrests made. Yeah, yeah, I don't think that would have happened under the previous government. I think they would have, you know, given them hugs and 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 a police escort through the town. And I and I think that's the real shift that there's this um there's um a real sense of just a changing mood, you know, that 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 you know, we're about getting things moving, getting things going and yeah. and and having that accountability. Because I mean the public service are um, you know they they are required to deliver what the government of the day wants to do, and that's that's in mood, that's in you know ethos, that's in you know that that's they're required to reflect what the government of the day wants to see, and I think that's what we've got now is a real change of mood, and and I have to say you know really hand on heart the the relationships within you know within the parties and the and the government coalition is really positive. Mm, I was going to ask um, you, you know, about that. Um, you, know, you mentioned Nicole McKee and, and Karen Chaw. Is there a collegiality between the different caucuses, particularly with ACT and New Zealand First, and, and even across yeah. international? There, you may be in different parties, but you're all part of the same team now, and yeah. there's this working together to get things done, check them off, make sure we're delivering promises, et cetera. Yeah, absolutely. I, I really, you know, and I sincerely say that that's, Exactly the and and even with um you know the backbench MPs the mm. the you know that that encouragement and endorsement you know you you kind of go through this sense of you know sort of wandering around a little bit kind of like a deer caught in the headlights um really positive interactions really you know and and encouraging you know down to you know there was um, three more maiden statements last night from national mm. you know great speeches great interaction and then afterwards just that you know that sense of understanding each other that little bit more um mm. it's it's really good you know i'm i'm it's it's um i'm finding it and and really smart people like really you know Smart, um, dedicated people committed to their, particularly the electorate MPs, you know, the mm-hmm. ones that are um, advocating yeah. for their communities. Just, yeah, I'm, I'm really impressed. Have you reached across the aisle and had a chat with Greg? Yeah, yeah, we had a catch up. Um, we, it, it was, um, it was when Greg first told me that he was, you know, entering politics and mm. told me that he was going to stand with Labour, we sort of had a bit of a catch-up and we've, we've <laughs> caught up every now and then. But, yeah, he, um, I, I had to do, do a bit of a tip of the hat to him for in my maiden statement. And um, so, yeah, you know, I, and, and Greg's, he's got a great heart. He's, you know, he's always had that um, and he's, you know, he's the consummate electorate MP. You know, he's he's that guy that everyone will, you know, know who he is and and connect with him. So yeah, I, that's I, the thing I, is that politicians get labelled, they get you know branded, uh, and people don't have the time or the inclination to actually truly understand where someone's coming from, and that includes 
you know, uh, across the political spectrum. And, and, you know, what you said about Greg there um, being compassionate, that's what I, it's how I've found Greg. Um, mm. You know, I've always, he's always been approachable, um, even when I was just a, a lowly blogger. And that was when he was in the police association. I've had a couple of cup, you know, cups of coffee with him and a chat just to keep lines of communication open. You know, a year after I had my stroke, the guy sent me the most lovely texts, you know, completely out of the blue that showed he he has a true compassion yeah. there that people don't often see because they're in public dealing with difficult subjects. And when you're the police association, or essentially the union boss um, <coughs> for police officers, you're out there fighting for better paying conditions and you can appear to be hard bitten and all that. And people miss that truly human connection that people have yeah. uh, and that compassion. And, and you know, I was uh, really pleased to see Greg um, actually beat Nicola Willis. Um, in fact, I texted him to congratulate him. And I'm especially pleased to see that he's an assistant speaker mm-hmm. um, because I think that he will bring that compassion to the job uh, that I've seen uh, that many people yeah. don't see about politicians. Yeah. And and I think one of the things that I, I I always admired with Greg within the police association, it was one of those early lessons in the in that political environment, was that ability to kind of get people who may not be agreeing to sit around and just have a beer and have a chat and clear the air and like at least know, how, listen. how we Yeah, at least listen to each other. And um and he's always been good at that. So Yeah, I mean he is one of the Labour MPs whom I respect. I mean, it's very few MPs that I respect, to be fair. I've just known so many of them, and many of them are beneath contempt. Those who gain my respect, they're uh, people that uh, they've shown me a side to them that's not shown in public, usually. Yeah. And, um, and- I, the, the media, I think, are part of the problem with that. They don't do interviews like this where we're just having a chat. They, they yeah. tend to be combative or they ring you up with specific questions and get specific answers and then we never actually find out the true person that we're talking about or talking to. Yeah, and it's, a, it's that soundbite journalism where it's it's about the, the clip or the, the soundbite. And I'm, I suppose you have some sympathy with the fact that, you know, most – um, most public, you know, have a very short attention span and they just want to, you know, absorb a, a quick headline and, and move on. I hope that there's more of that. And I, I think that's telling, you know, in terms of, you know, your platform and and, and um, how, how you're working with um, that long-form interview and mm-hmm. how you're being more in-depth, getting to know people and, and the fact that that's connecting with an audience and it's growing I think it tells that there are there are more and more New Zealanders who have got tired of that click type media. Yeah, combative clickbait, um, yeah. gotcha, gotcha type journalist that we journalism that we see all too often on News Hub. Uh, you know where they're trying to take people down. Um, you know, and I used to be part of that too, so I understand it. I mean, you know, mm. I used to I used to go through uh, you know when I was blogging. I would be always trying to get somebody. And when you get into that mentality of always trying to get somebody, very negative things start happening to you uh, mm-hmm. because you're not actually looking to build people up. 
or to empower people or to uh, facilitate even, or just listen. You just want to get people. And it's just, it's, you know, know, it's a, a little bit like the police, I guess. They're always looking for criminals. So everything they see, they, they're treating it from a perspective as this the potential criminal. Even if they walk up beside you and say, how about this weather, eh? You know, people go, hmm, okay, what do you want? Yeah. <laughs> you know, because we, we conditioned uh, into it. I agree. And, and, and to some extent, though, you kind of, there is that balance where you, you know, you do need to drive an accountability. You know, we're we're elected to represent and that should be, recognize that we are accountable um we're accountable for you know we're, we're we're the ultimate public servant you know we are completely here at the discretion of the people that voted us to be here and therefore we should be completely accountable to but th- those questions need to be intelligent you know they need to be mm. informed and and relevant and you know when you get several journalists will will in- interview the Prime Minister and ask virtually the same question over and over again, mm. you kind of start to think, well, you know, is this journalism or is this just I, I want to be able to use this quote that someone else has got? I just think there's, there's really important questions to be asked and mm. then we should be accountable to answering those questions. But sometimes it's it's a bit more than just, a, you know, repeating what, what the headline of yesterday's news said and asking the same question. Let's touch on accountability because New Zealand First is often derided, criticised, mocked from both sides of the spectrum for never delivering promises. If you're a political tragic like myself, you can, you know, people say to me, what has Winston Peters ever done for New Zealand, right? And, And I can reel off a few things that they've done because I'm interested in that. There's a perception in the general public that Winston and New Zealand First never deliver their promises. Is that in the forefront of the New Zealand new New Zealand First caucus that, hey, we're actually going to put a stake in the ground, we're going to say we're going to deliver these things, and now we are going to deliver them? Yes, very much so, Because, and that's what I think the strength of the coalition agreements are, is there's, there's, you know, there's a list. You know, mm. there, there you go, there's our list. It's um, great for people like me. Right? Yeah, I've got that list there, I can start ticking them off. <laughs> ticking you know? them off, yeah. Um, so there's that part of it, but there's also the part that I think, and that's what you know, I, I said in my maiden statement, that um, you know, Winston is the consummate statesman. You know, he... Mm. he he knows how to work this and make things happen. But a big part of doing that is that you're not always the one that gets the credit for it. Mm. You know, it's 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 that puppet master kind of environment where I put them in the room with them and I get them to talk to each other about this and then something will happen. Mm. And 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 it doesn't, you know, that was that Ronald Reagan statement, you know, it's amazing what you can get done when you don't care who gets the credit for it. Yeah. Um, it, it's it's like that, and I think it's now that the change really is making sure that it's very clear that um, we were responsible for this, and you know we achieved this, and we delivered this, and and make sure that we take ownership rather than you know it's been done, um, making sure that it's been done, and this is what we did to make it happen, um, mm. and and actually claim that credit and be very clear about that. Um, because it's you know it's like the eighteen hundred police that you know um, 
you know, New Zealand First pushed and drove, strove for to, to get with the coalition with Labour and got it delivered. And then, you know, um, it was never the seen only thing as a New that was Zealand delivered. First. The yeah. only, it was the only so thing. The only delivery. <laughs> and and so, Labour even tried to, to make that difficult. Yeah. And and that, so those are the things I think is the shift is that acknowledging that this is politics and, you know, it's, it, it's you know, you, you want to know where you, you want to know where your destination is, but sometimes you've got to take um, a few side roads to get there. Um, we just, you know, um, the skill is, is knowing which detours to take in short to ensure you get to the right place in the end and make sure that you know everyone knows that we were the one that got you there. So and that's where I think um the strength is now is is having that skill and knowledge that that um Winston and Shane bring to the agreement uh, to the situation and then the workhorses that are gonna kind of keep pushing um shoulder to the grindstone all the way through. So yeah, I mean, this is the great thing about that coalition <laughs> agreement. It's the first time we've ever seen such a thing, a comprehensive documents that you know, literally we can check off. There's two areas that listeners of, of Reality Check Radio are particularly exercised about, and I see yesterday, uh, you know, um, when was it? Tuesday. Tuesday um, it was announced that the rollback of the Therapeutic Products Act um, is underway. That That's a, a key one that, that a lot of people in the freedom community have been really pushing on. Mm. What's the time frame for hearing about the COVID inquiry or the expansion of the existing COVID inquiry to include, you know, a whole lot of other things? And what is there some work streams that are going on to, <coughs> to get that happening as quickly as possible? Yeah, there's definitely um so that that's a, a, a big program of work and, and mm. it's about and I think the, the caution is making sure that we're controlling the narrative, that it doesn't kind of run away and, and get, you know, as you saw with the smoke free, the, the mm. media pick up a story. So that's why I think it, we the work's um, definitely underway, but we, we want to make sure that that this isn't run by the media, it's run by the, the government, government has, has got yeah. control of it. And so therefore, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll work through that process and be very considered about how we um, take this to the public so that um, it doesn't get, you know, distracted. And because um, the, the greatest risk is, you know, we, we clearly have a, 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 um, a confirmed objective that's clearly stated what we're trying to achieve. Um, and there's a, a commitment from the coalition collectively to do it. And, and we just want to be smart and intelligent about it. Um, mm. But yeah, the, the work's definitely underway. But the 100-day plan was a real focus on, start, you know, making sure that we can start growing and mm. be industrious again. So that was, yeah, because um, you know the the financial situation is really dire. Mm. So we that had to be the focus really because there was going to be no money to do anything else if we didn't kind of start getting the wheels moving again. So yeah, it always reminds <laughs> me of Morris Williamson's favorite quote that everyone wants to go to heaven but no one wants to die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, that's yeah, I mean, that's pleasing to hear. For the listeners, will be pleased to hear that there is work underway on the on the COVID inquiry. Um, but you know, I've been watching politics. I mean, it's hard to think exactly when I started, but you know, I'm 55 now, so 
you know, let's call it 40 years, 15 years old, maybe probably earlier than that. Let's call it 45 years I've been involved in politics. And, and of course, a good chunk of that is under the MMP environment, been involved in politics deeply uh, in all of the MMP years. I can't recall a coalition where everyone seems to be on the same page, where they're, I mean, I, I remember the, the first MMP coalition, New Zealand First and, and National. Yeah. There was white anting going on from inside National. Um, there was ankle tapping. There was all sorts of stuff. And we saw that even though there was a coalition on the surface, that underneath that surface, that there were two teams that were struggling with each other. Um, yeah. I've seen that uh, too with um, you know Helen Clark's governments, that she was always struggling with factions within her own party, let alone the disparate factions that that joined in with that. John Key had similar problems, you know, a much different Maori party back then. Yeah. Where they actually had integrity and mana uh, that was earned, not demanded. Um, but it was still fractious. Um, what I'm seeing now is something different. It's something I've never seen before in all the years I've been involved, involved in politics where, yes, there's three teams in the coalition, but it seems you're all signed up to singing from the same song sheet and praising each other across parties when jobs are, are well done. You know, if Chris Bishop does something well, there'll be a New Zealand mm -hmm. First Associate Minister that might say, well, that was fantastic, you know, well done, Chris, da 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 There seems a cohesion there that I've never seen before in New Zealand politics. And, and this may actually be the nirvana of MMP where it is a true majority that represents the majority of New Zealanders based on the vote, and you're actually embodying that in the in your actions. I mean, this is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I've sat and reflected on it. I thought, I haven't seen this before, and I'm liking this. Yeah, and I wonder how much of it is when, you know, you know when, when you've got a common enemy it's amazing how well people can work together. You know, if, if, and I think that we've got a really clear demon to slay, you know, like there's this real the media. sense of, <laughs> <laughs> but, but across the board, you know, we know that yes. we're in you know pretty dire situation across mm. the board in a lot of areas. So when, when you've got a really clear objective, which is what the coalition agreement has, has given us, you're not so distracted by the, the the noise on the peripheries. You've got a really clear objective, and that's what I see is that you know every day we're kind of looking at um, what's next on the list. You know how how can we make this happen? Nationals, you know, got some important legislation um, acts, got their um, the ninety day trial mm. legislation. So we're all really supportive of that. So when you've got that common objective, it's I think it makes it easier to to keep focused and not be distracted by the white noise on the periphery so yeah you mentioned before <laughs> about the public service and the expectation that they do what the government wants yet we've seen the public service lobbying against things that a democratically elected government has decided in a coalition agreement is what they're going to implement because that's what the voters elected us to do and you've got these guys coming out opposing everything you know, you've got a clear 
directive from the government to roll back the 90-day day, um, legislation or expand it. No, it's not really rolling yeah. it back, but rolling back some aspects of it that were ridiculous, fair pay agreements and those sorts of things. And you've got the, the PSA coming out opposing that. You've got Treasury officials who are saying, oh, no, we actually think you should keep the fair pay agreements in place. They're colouring it by saying it's advice. But, of course, the media says, Treasury says, keep fair pay agreements in place. And the implication is that the media agree with keeping fair um, payment agreements in place, as as do these officials, even though they gave three options. And so, you know, I think when you talk about the common enemy, I think the common enemy out there is the vested interests in media, in in unions and the Public Service Association to keep the status quo at the very least and fight absolutely everything that this government does. I mean, we've seen a full-on attack, uh, and Winston Peters is, has copped most of it. You know, they, they accuse him of an unfair attack on the media. But everyone I know says, yeah, go, Winston, keep going. You know, do more yeah. to, to hurt them. Yeah, you're over the target. You're copying flack, you know, so you're over the target. But I really think that common enemy actually is the mainstream media because they're out to get you. And and that's the part that I think is why it's so important for us all individually as as MPs and, and ministers to ensure we retain that close direct connection to the public, to our communities. Because as you know, you know, what you hear in this in um, this bunker <laughs> is is very different to what what is actually engaging and and in all of us that have you know big families and lots of people that are doing it really hard that's the that's the resolve you need that's the vindication you need it's it's not not whether you've got a, a favorable headline in the newspaper it's about you know actually delivering those outcomes and and making sure that the people that voted you to get here um are getting what we promised, and um, and you know we die in the ditch on making sure that that's that's what we deliver. So, yeah, I mean, that, a lot of politicians forget that. You know, I can remember my mother haranguing politicians around our dining room table um, when they were being arrogant or uh, overbearing. It was my mother that was um, telling them off. Yeah, you know, or point, pointing the finger at them and saying, you know, in the next election, you're going to lose your seat. And they'd be going you know, scoffing and laughing and everything. But you know what? My mother was always 100% right. She, she, yeah. she, she knew stuff uh, that they could only ever contemplate uh, yeah. and never truly know. And, and she, she was the, perhaps the person that taught me the most about politics. You know, she taught me that, you know, when the ministerial, when the ministers arrive, that there's actually other important people that you need to look after, and that's the drivers and and the staff yep. and and those. So she would always go out out onto Mountain Road, knock on the windows of all the Crown limousines, tell them all to come inside, and they'd be all downstairs playing pool and uh, drinking coffee and eating scones that Mum had made them and all of that sort of thing. Yeah, and and that's where I learned a lot about what goes on inside politics because I'd be down there playing pool with those guys rather than up listening yeah. to the blowhards who are politicians. Because when you talk to those guys, you find out what's actually happening. Yeah, and it's I, I mean every 
every company I've ever you know run or been involved with, if you want to know what's going on, you talk to the security guards, you talk to the cleaners, you know, th- those are the people that know who's there late, who's there first, who's working hardest, you know, those are the people that kind yep. of appreciate, um, you know, being listened to and, and can tell you what, what the truth of the situation is. So, yeah, I, th- I think that's, that's it's, you know, we, you know, it doesn't matter what your role is, you know, I'm, I'm a public servant. I'm I'm here to serve. This is, uh, you know, this is, you know, I I was elected to do something and to deliver something, and um, and that's my job. And I'm accountable to those people that put me here. So, yeah, it, and it seems that the public service has lost sight of that. That's their role to serve. I facetiously wrote the other day that I, you know, what I'd love to see is the government appoints Stephen Joyce as the new public service commissioner. And um, imagine the carnage, the wailing and the, scre- <laughs> the screaming. But, uh, you know, they announced um, Bill English to do a review of Kainga Ora and the squealing that came from that was huge. I could hear it, you know, deafening me from Wellington here in Auckland. But, you know, I, I think that would be a delicious thing to do is put Stephen Joyce in, as the public service. I mean, there can be no... Uh, misunderstanding here. The public service no longer serves the public. They're serving themselves. They are hostile to, you know, they've become political. Well, if that's the case, then we need to head down the path of what happens in the United States after election when, when a government changes hands. The bosses of the various departments change hands as well because they need trusted people in there to implement what the government wants. And I think we're at that point now in New Zealand. I think there can be no uh, mistaking that the public service has become political and therefore we need political solutions to solve it. I, I would say, though, that and I think there's a real strong caution in there. And, and you, I mean, I know you're, you're just generalising, but I think we can't lose sight of the fact that within all of these bureaucracies, there's great people. Of course, and it's just it's just about making sure the ones that have the good ideas and that that they are recognised and given license to do what they know and and what they can contribute to the solutions. Because um, and that's the the that's why you know being there, you know, knowing who the cleaners are, knowing who the drivers are, knowing you know they, they, that's how you tell where the answers that you know. Um, in any any organisation, it doesn't have to be a, a government agency, but I think that's the part is is getting in there and, and wading through the so that you're not just talking to the top echelon, that you're talking to the people that are doing the job and making sure you're getting the right information. Now I've got two more questions for you. And they're the questions I'm going to ask my buddies at the end of the show. What do you think in the last year for you? Uh, this is this is your choice here. What was the best thing about last year? And it can be personal, can be political, could be business related, can be anything. I just want to hear what you think is the best thing that happened in to you or or to New Zealand in the last year. And the second question to follow on from that is, what are you hoping for in the next year to come? I you know, and it sounds trite, but the best thing was to to get here. Mm. Like I never, for an instant, thought that I would. I really, I, I got involved in this because I wanted to make sure that New Zealand first got here. You know that mm. that was 
that was my objective to to get New Zealand first here and to be in the position I am I am in is um you know it's it's unequal you know it, it just I feel so privileged and it, it just I don't even know how to say it without sounding trite you know this is this is genuinely an opportunity to to really make a difference mm. and I never thought I'd get, you know, I, I've lobbied for so long and I've, I've advocated and fought for so long to actually be here and be in a position where I could actually make the differences I've been fighting for is just incredible. Mm. And from what I want to achieve next year is to be able to look at that coalition agreement and say, I did this, this, this and this, you know, I want to actually say there's something that even if I don't get the credit for it, I know that I made some stuff happen, and um, that's my ultimate goal is to be able to sit there. I'm a list person, so I love making lists, so that's that's <laughs> a great list. But um, but yeah, that to be able to sit down, um, and I don't care if my name's not to it. If I know that I help make some stuff happen, real stuff that affects people's lives, then um, yeah, I'll 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 go away from here incredibly happy. Oh, well, that sounds like an admirable goal. <clears throat> To uh, to make those things happen, and it, it'll be a refreshing change after six years of inaction and going backwards for us to actually start achieving things and moving forwards again. Yeah, well, you'll, I, I no doubt you'll hold me to account if I don't make it happen. <laughs> well, other media might not, but I certainly will. <laughs> it's been a real pleasure having you on the crunch this year, Casey, and hopefully we'll have you on on the crunch again next year. Uh, so we can and, uh, check in on those things and those achievements. Yeah, and have a fantastic Christmas, Cam. I hope um, hope you had a good break and um, talk to you in the new year. Yeah, Merry Christmas to you and your family and um, tell your brother he needs to come to lunch again in the new year. Okay, I'll let him know. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks a lot. Cam. Okay, okay bye. Thanks, bye. I really love chatting with Casey. She's got important portfolios, but I'm sure she is going to be up to the task. We'll check in with Casey again next year, but for now, she and her colleagues are off to a ripper of a start for the new government. Tell me your thoughts on what Casey had to say by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR. Shane Jones is going to be a regular guest on the show, checking in from time to time to keep us updated on progress of this government. But I wanted to talk to him about Freddie the Blind Frog and what he was really saying to people out there in the economy and the rest of New Zealand. There'll probably be a few truth bombs dropping here. He joins me on the line now. Welcome back to The Crunch, Shane. Good to see you here. Yeah, Merry Christmas, folks. And uh, it's a pleasure to have a few words at the tail end of this year. Well, we're allowed to say Merry Christmas again, aren't we? <laughs> yes. Well, those uh, traditional greetings reflect an ethos that we're in the business of uh, of re-legitimising after a long period of time where the government of the day didn't even do the basics well, but it tried to, I guess, rearrange what you and I have taken for granted in terms of the articles that define us as Kiwis. Yeah, I and mean, that's the thing that we had uh, last week. These, you know, rowdies, rent a mob, go and invade to Papa Museum, 
and deface a display of the treaty because they disagree with the articles as they're written. But but we can't change the words, can we? Well, all of these people that are bringing their voices of um, rage and manufactured grievance, they don't seem to understand that this government, no other government, you can't erase the treaty. It stands as a feature of our background. It's a time where the British Crown came to New Zealand. And uh, I was astounded to hear the actual board of Te Papa uh, confirm that they would take, they would take, give due consideration to their concerns. Their concerns are number one, irrelevant, number two, deeply disturbing, and number three, rep- represent sacrilege. I mean, if the Te Papa, a display for international visitors and the public, can't create an opportunity for people to learn and, if necessarily, debate, then it's a type of fascism that um, these self-appointed wannabe uh, reformers, and they've taken it upon themselves with no mandate, no legitimacy, to rewrite history. Well, I'm sorry, you have neither the authority, the brains, and your insect click, your your sort of native click beetle bloody behaviour is no place. And that's the thing, you say that it's a fascist behaviour, but that's that's the reality that we're dealing with. If you raise questions or even want to have a debate about this, you're held down as racist, uh, you're browbeaten by the media who are aligned with these rowdies, and even demonised. Uh, I mean, watching these kinds of people call you and Winston Peters, Casey Costello, racist, Whilst it's amusing, it's rather serious as well. Yeah, I think it'll take a while before uh, more members of the public develop a, a sense of confidence and boldness to push back. But know this from me. We have a mandate. We have a platform. And every time we encounter these excesses, we're going to meet them both full on. But the people that have the loudest voices and the most um, theatrical behaviour in Parliament, they're in opposition. And rather than work constructively and uh, address the uh, deeper and, quite frankly, frightening problems of our economy, they're wanting to posture and wanting to bring in a type of um, pantomime. And that just shows their powerlessness. And if they think for a moment that their inflammatory rhetoric is going to um, undermine both Winston and I, or indeed the other members of our caucus, then they're in for a serious wake-up call. Yeah, I mean, you know, Debbie Narewa Packer a couple of weeks ago was saying that ACT uh, with 8% and New Zealand First with 6% don't have a mandate to do the things that they're doing, says she who is the co-leader of a party that got just 3%. Yeah, yeah. Um, look, it's a, it's, a, it's a bit of a judgment call. Um, I've never really had anything to do with Debbie. I'd never really heard of her. Uh, she comes from a, one of the tribes on her Māori side. But look, uh, she's very cosmetic. Uh, she has no serious standing uh, in the affairs of the Māori world. She does have a few followers, but most of them are inebriated with wokamania and their sense of place is grossly inflated because they've been able to get away over the last three years. 
with flinging around indiscriminately quite um, incandescent rhetoric, actually. And now that they've met someone with a fire hydrant who's going to uh, de-louse them, they don't like it. Well, it's called democracy. Mm. And we're entitled to have different views. And those views have to channel the interests of all Kiwis, not just the narrow concerns that she has decided to elevate to the national level. I mean, number one, they hate mining. Number two, uh, they pretend to be the guardians of the planet to save the climate. And number three, they're fostering more and more ill will because their creed and their agenda is to divide us. And uh, New Zealand First doesn't want to participate in that type of debate. It wants to lift up the narrative to a much higher level so that all Kiwis have confidence that the country's got a robust future in front of it. And that's the key aspect that we, we really have to focus on, isn't it? The economy is what drives the success of this nation. And you guys have been in uh, as ministers, really, for just a bit over two weeks or three weeks at the end of this week. What are you finding as you start into your ministry, into your various ministries? What are you finding out uh, about the legacy that's been left by the Labour Party? Well, the mini budget's going to be trotted out over the next few days, and I think Kiwis themselves will be, um, I wouldn't want to say overwhelmed, but they're going to be astounded how many promises were made over the last two or three years, and those promises represented checks that were being written that you can't cash. So unravelling that is going to be disruptive. Uh, getting rid of legislation that actually impedes economic growth, uh, that's actually quite liberating. It uh, hasn't been done for such a long period of time. I mean, it's astounding, the sort of um, socialist fair pay agreements that were going to be imposed from Fobo straight to Kaitaia, uh, getting rid of these uh, vanity signalling uh, sort of uh, transport projects like um, light rail and, quite frankly, putting into the dustbin of history the replacement of the RMA. All of that mm. shows underneath that people have believed for three years that you can regulate yourself to prosperity, that you can regulate the growth of uh, and the emergence of industry. No, you can't. You have to trust and rely on the infinite capacity, imagination, and entrepreneurial risk-taking endeavours of ordinary Kiwis, <clears throat> firms and businesses. And where you uh, do encounter some excesses and bads, well, that's when you regulate. But you don't start from the point of pulling your regulatory pistol out and then imagining that the money is going to flow. It doesn't work like that. In the respect of energy, look, it's been particularly um, uplifting for me to be able to stand and say, for those of you who thought that the gas industry and the oil industry was an irrelevant part of New Zealand's future, a new government has arrived. Mm. We are going to have a sustainable, durable energy strategy, and gas is going to be an integral feature of keeping the lights on. And uh, if you want to go and live in a country that has brownouts and blackouts, well, this country under our leadership is not going to do a burnout. And the reality is we are going to take a pragmatic approach to energy that is not driven or overwhelmed by all the loud, uh, discordant voices to do with climate change. 
most of which is built on, around a sense of hysteria and trying to intimidate the New Zealand public. Well, the majority of the public have rejected that type of behaviour, which is why we're the government. Yeah, I've always maintained that a government should facilitate the use of the natural resources in this country that God gave us uh, for the betterment of the entire country, rather than rather narrow focuses like, oh, you know, keep the coal in the hole and at the same time we'll import it from Indonesia. You know, there was just insanity that, that has been going on. You know, if you're burning coal in a furnace to generate power that we do at Huntley, which creates actually the baseload that fixes the holes that all of the, the renewable resources can't produce at particular times, like solar can't produce at night and wind, doesn't, uh, wind power doesn't uh, produce anything when the wind's not blowing. You need to have that base load. That's what Huntley is for. But it beggars belief that we stopped using our own coal in our own furnaces and started burning massive amounts of Indonesian coal. Uh, well, it's a dirty secret that's never ever been uh, fully owned by the last government. They promised um, plans and strategies. But look, Rotowaro at the back of Huntley is a mm. coal mine that's already functioning. And um, no doubt it's keen to extend its life. And under this government, it should look forward to a rosy future. Uh, we have a host of um, precious and rare minerals in New Zealand. Yes, it's going to take a while before we can uh, encourage people to go and look for them, but we need to incentivize it. We need to reward people that are willing to take a risk. And all this apocryphal nonsense that somehow just because I said uh, we're not going to tolerate a blind frog uh, impeding mining, and number one, why they didn't like that type of language is these are the people who trade in hyperbole. Well, mm. you met an orator and a rhetorician, they can beat you at your own game. Yeah. And the reality is that those minerals represent a brilliant opportunity for New Zealand to have a leading position, not only our own resilience, but uh, with other nations around the world. And if they're here, we're going to go and find them. And we're going to incentivize people to go and find them by simplifying the process to use a bit of dough, common sense, and human human ingenuity. What the hell's wrong with that? Well, there's nothing wrong with that, but that was the prevailing attitude that we've had for six years, at least six years. But it's also there's also people that are infecting, you know, even you know major parties like the National Party, for instance. I mean, I consider that the RMA, which was a, a monster created by both Simon Upton and Jeffrey Palmer to be probably the biggest piece of legislation that caused economic vandalism in this country. Yeah, well, as you may know, during the negotiations, we secured a commitment from uh, the National Party to create a new piece of legislation, which is a fast-track process. Mm -hmm. And that fast-track process will genuinely live up to its title because it'll be strategic and you'll come to Wellington, you'll come to the politicians to get your consent. No more wandering around in the thicket with Doc, no more being uh, overwhelmed and uh, act, forced to act as a subsidiary to some rare bat or blind frog. We are going to have infrastructure that's delivered in a timely fashion because in 2026, um, you guys will obviously be reminding us that it's all about delivery. And mm. we certainly want to be capable 
of um, demonstrating that we stood up, we were counted, and point to the projects that we've delivered, whether they're the modest projects through the Regional Infrastructure Fund or the larger projects that all Kiwis need to see uh, happen in an expeditious and efficient manner. Watch this space. That's a, a key point you make there because the media are on full attack to get you guys right now. I don't see that abating. They gave uh, Jacinda Ardern a free ride. You know, the lofty promises that were made uh, by her party, building 100,000 homes, planting a billion trees, all of that sort of stuff, right? The media never held them to account on any of that. It was people like David Farah or myself that kept a tally of just how poorly they were performing. The light rail one, another example, I mean, they're supposed to be light rail to Mount Roskill now. It's supposed to be built. You know, three years ago, it was supposed to be completed. Not one millimetre of track has been laid. And so people will hold your government to account, but they'll hold you to account far more than the Labour Party was ever held to account. Are you ready for that? Yeah, well, um, we've got to ensure that when we pass our fast-track legislation that we emulate what David Parker did, and he actually legislated some projects in Parliament. Mm. In Parliament. Now, no one really knows that. One of them was the water storage dam up north where I hail from, up in Taitokuro, yeah. uh, in the uh, in the mid-north. So, look, there are devices, uh, there, there are ways that we can genuinely create a pipeline, and then we've got to have the confidence that the private sector, whether it's mining or aquaculture or energy, has been given a green light through a, such a piece of legislation and will uncork the pent-up pressure to actually do things and deliver things. I, I feel in the areas where I'm active, I feel very confident because uh, both Winston and I have the experience. We're working closely with Christopher Bishop. He's got a full dance card. Uh, we're working closely with Simeon Brown, both of whom I have to say are taking to their roles with a huge amount of, um, of, of passion and uh, with a great deal of clarity. And, of course, I'm working closely on some development things with Judith Collins. And, Judith, uh, congratulations to her on becoming a KC but she's got a deep reservoir of experience. She knows what levers you have to pull in the state to actually mm. kick the roll. So, no, no, I think um, your listeners should have confidence that there's a blend of uh, youthful energy and direction, and there's some slightly older members of the House and the government who have been there before. Yeah, and the, the anecdotally, the feedback that I'm getting whenever I'm interacting with the public or you know talking to Uber drivers or um, you know getting your hair trimmed, the feeling I get is that there's this immense relief from people that they are free to speak again, that they're free to say out loud the things they've been thinking. And they there's a, it's really hard to put an exact emotion onto it, but it is almost like relief that there's a lot of people out there that are expressing to me that hallelujah, at least we're doing – uh, sensible things. You know, your comment about Blind Freddy the Frog, I've had so many, so much feedback about that. It's like, hallelujah, people are saying the things that we've been thinking for so long. Yeah. But the, but the uh, interesting flip side to that, though, Shane, 
is that you've got the media running headlines every day about officials say this and officials say we need to keep the fair pay agreements in place and the officials in the US, when the government changes, the officials change. We don't have that here. Maybe that's something we need to either implement or have a policy of fit in or F off. Well, I pushed that idea in Jacinda's time, as you well know, mm. got to Coventry. I think at the moment, though, we've got uh, such a, a tremendous level of momentum, um, such structural change to the state services or whatever the hell it's called now. Um, that's something that can be put on the work program. But I just remind everyone, we've got a 100-day plan. And look, there's a host of things from our coalition agreements that are not in the 100-day plan. So we're staggering Mm. a uh, work program so that people can come for the ride. It's not just the equivalent of a one-night stand, mate. It's a three-, six-, nine-year journey mm. because some of the uh, potholes that need to be fixed up uh, are not just physical. It's turning the temperament. It's turning the ethos and uplifting the spirit of our nation in terms of what is the most liberating role a government can play. And I keep telling you, the deadweight hand of the regulators, it's going to take a while before we saw off those uh, diseased limbs and new people will emerge, new opportunities will be supported. That's how a vibrant economy in the, in the rest of the Western capitalistic world uh, thrives. You're checking off the you know, quite a few in the 100-day plan. I, I still remember that video that Jacinda Ardern threw out on social media. It's about the only thing she ever did effectively was sit and put something on TikTok or Instagram. She did this 100-day um, thing about what we've achieved, and they were all just bumper sticker slogan stuff where they had made an announcement and claimed it as an achievement, whereas we've actually seen you guys repeal pieces of legislation that you promised to repeal. Uh, we're seeing definitive action in the 100 days of very large things that are being done. This is the feedback that I'm getting from people that are saying, wow, we've got a government that's doing things rather than talking about things. No, I couldn't agree more. In my area of mining, obviously it was John Key who made a throwaway remark that there'll be no mining in World Heritage areas, and that killed off mining in those areas. Mm. Then you had Cinder inserting into her speech from the throne, or the speech from the throne, there'll be no mining in Dockland. Well, both of those were intemperate remarks, and both of those took the rest of us by surprise. And, and sure, I'm not suggesting that mining is going to replace uh, the dairy industry or something like that, but when politicians are um, unwilling to stand up for these extractive industries and join the fray and quickly dismiss them for a sugar hit, well, we shouldn't be surprised. We've got a lot of our young people buggering off over to Aussie because they want to dig up that country and make a lot of money. And I, I just think that some of the uh, issues that we're highlighting, uh, the desire and the passion that we're showing to change change the way I might call it the Wellington orthodoxy. Mm. There's an old saying out of the classics, cleaning out the orgy and stables, getting rid of all the detritus, and then new spring growth will, will come forth. I guarantee it will, mate. Uh, look, I have no doubt that it will. Um it's always been my view that governments should provide the framework to allow businesses to thrive 
And then as a result of that, then that will drive employment and all of those sorts of things. Spraying billions upon billions upon billions of dollars in a profligate way like Grant Robertson has done hasn't helped the economy. Uh, In fact, it's hindered the economy because now it's shackled with billions and billions of dollars of debt. And, you know, you're old enough to remember the days of Muldoon when we were shrieking about balance of payment deficits that uh, a tiny fraction of what they are now. Uh, we were shrieking about the borrowing that that Robert Muldoon did, which was a tiny fraction of what has been done in the last, uh, particularly the last three years. No, absolutely. Well, I better wind up here, but uh, thank you very much as we reach the tail end of this year for the opportunity to share these thoughts. Uh, I was asked the other day on television, what are you going to do uh, over Christmas? And young Chloe said, oh, well, you know, there's there's three Grinches coming for us. If you're a renter, you're going to be hassled. If you're looking for um, a fair pay outcome, you're going to be hassled. I said, oh, I thought to myself, oh, give it a rest. I'm going back up north and I'll celebrate my uh, Dalmatian Croatian ancestry by drinking copious quantities of red wine. Yeah, I remind myself that uh, many years ago my ancestors came on a waka by having an inordinately fat hangi, and then, um, like a uh, precious boa constrictor snake, I'll find a tree and sleep it off for several days. <laughs> catch you all in the new year, mate. Well, thank you very much for coming on the crunch, and uh, hopefully, you and I can coro a, a little bit more frequently next year. Thank you very much. Bye bye. Welcome, Jade. Thanks. It was a short but sweet interview with Shane there. As I said, more than a few truth bombs. Personally, I think he's a bit under the weather from a Christmas social event, but you get that in politics. Don't forget to send comments on Shane's interview to inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. You've heard the words open, fair, both sides of the story. It's easy to say them. But practising them often seems like a bridge too far. New Zealand, it's time for a reality check. Reality check. RCR, Reality Check Radio. Rational discussion, common sense and open debate for real. With me, Paul Brennan. You know, you just can't make this stuff up. You couldn't write the script. Veteran broadcaster Peter Williams. Where is the evidence they actually make a difference? It turns out that was a very fair question to ask. Taking on the mainstream, Chantel Baker. Mainstream media, as usual, in their little perch. The man who cares so much and whose background is for real, Rodney Hyde. The doctors don't believe them. They can't get ACC. They can't work. They're told it's all in their head. Along with a raft of contributors to inform, entertain and bring the truth back to New Zealand media. It's time for a reality check, all right. RCR, Reality Check Radio at www.realitycheck.radio. We've arrived. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Now it's time for Cam's Buddies. This week, we'll find out what their best thing of the past year was and what they hope for in the new year. My producer has them all lined up and ready to go. 
Let's go for the final Cam's Buddies for the year. Good afternoon, Paul. Welcome to the last Cam Buddies of the year. Good afternoon, Cam. How are you this afternoon? Oh, I'm fantastic. Um, I've just got to thank you before we get started for your participation in Cam's Buddies this year. It's one of the most popular segments and we get plenty of comments about it. And that's all down to you and me and the other buddies all shooting the breeze and telling the truth. Yeah, having a chat. Oh, that's all good. I thought we'd just lighten it up a little bit for Cam's Buddies, considering it's the last show of the year and it's almost Christmas upon us. And I'd just like to get from you two things. The first thing is, what do you think was the best thing that happened this year? And it can be personal, it could be political, it could be anything else. And then what are your hopes for the next year coming up? That's, those are pretty pretty um, broad questions, but I'll give you a couple of things in the personal and the political. Mm. Um, I think one of the best things that happened to me this year was every Monday I have a lunch with a group of mates and yeah. we talk rubbish, we talk good, we talk different things. We have sometimes high emotion, we have high passion, we have laughter and we have mates that support one another and I think one of the best things that happened to me this year was just having a group of mates that I can know, I can rely on and I can go and have a chat with them once a a week and we've got each other's best interests at heart rather than your own interests and as a group, having a group of mates when many people out there are sad and lonely and could count all their mates on one finger um, as opposed to one hand, and here we've got ten or twelve of us that knock around together, have a have a bit of a laugh, have have a meal together once a week, and talk about the things that are near and dear to our hearts. And I think one of the best things that happened to me this year was that group's lunch on a regular basis to keep me mm. grounded and sane. Add to yeah. that, how um, long have we been night, having these lunches, Paul? How long have we been having it? It's got to be twenty years, isn't it? 20 years, I reckon every bit of. It's been, it's just something that we do. I mean, I'm, I'm sure it was happening when I was in my 40s and I'm in my 60s, so yeah. Well, the thing I'm is, you know, what, you know what I think is amazing is that, you know, there's a couple of us, people ring up and say, oh, can we have an, a, a meeting with you um, at lunch on Monday? That And my answer straight away is no. No, you can't. Unless I've already got an appointment lunch. on Monday. I've already got an appointment, but you can come along if you want. And and yes. it's and it's quite interesting the number of people who do actually come along and find out that there is this group of mates that will die in the ditch for each other. Mm. Well, that that was one of the highlights of my year, and a small highlight mm. was I came home last night, and for no reason my wife cooked me the, my favourite meal, and I said to her, oh, "This is an absolutely delightful meal, darling. What, what, what what's happening?" And she said, I just thought that you might like to have this meal. And I was thinking about you during the day. And so she's made me my favorite meal of all time. And it was just delightful that my family think about me and think about um, mm. still liking me after I've been with her for um, 48 years and, and, and more, if we go back yeah. to dating. Yeah, so, yeah. so that's those are something that it's just having someone that still thinks I'm okay after having lived with me for 48 years. That's another highlight, if you like, of my year. Yeah, it's stunning. Things to come. I think things to come that would be interesting is um, I'm really concerned 
that we don't have another lot of pandemic um, truth and um, as the media see it rather than as reality sees it. Mm. I don't want to hear too much more of safe and effective. And so if, if next year we had a, um inquiry, which we're intending to have, that had the parameters broadened out to see who was the folk that lied and why, who paid whom and why, and to get to the actual truth of the matter. Mm. And like when I'm hearing that there's a, there's a bloke at the moment who's going to be, um, he's been taken to task because he didn't run the whistleblower program as he should have, and he's said a few things and he's got information that he shouldn't have and saying that, um, and he's been sort of charged with some sort of propaganda that he's actually said that uh, um, vaccine has caused excess death and um, how dare he say such um, lies and fake news and all this sort of thing. And it's it's only nutters that believe that and whatever. I think if we could get to the bottom of it, win, lose or draw, if the scope of an inquiry was brought out so that we, like if I'm wrong, I'm happy to know I'm wrong, but I don't like to be whitewashed. I don't like to be um, told that I'm wrong when I can see glaring holes in the argument. So what I'd like to see happen next year is that that inquiry being done at a level that um, all New Zealanders can get the information and the benefit from and know what exactly happened and was this safe and effective or was it a lie? And then we can somehow get the science back on track so that when science says something, it's true. And when media and PR say something, well, you know, that can be just a whitewash or whatever. So. Take it under advisement. Exactly. I mean, it's worth a peak, peak. you know. I don't think we should dismiss the data uh, leak out of hand. I I don't think, I think there's something there. Don't know what that is. I think we need to have a, a very rigorous exploration of the data. And let's get all the data, not just the subset that, the whistleblower has has delivered. Let's get all the data mm. and let's analyze it all and get some serious, uh, you know, number crunches to have a look at it. Some, you know, some actuaries actually who know exactly about deaths and excess deaths. They would, I would think that they would be the the very best people. Go and pluck them out of insurance companies and get them to analyse it because I bet you they'll come up with an answer that'll be completely different from all the other vested interests that are around the place. Well, they'll come up with the financial maths answer that says, if we now put your premium up in insurance, if you've been vaccinated four times, then and it's down lower for someone who's only been vaccinated with other vaccines but not this mRNA vaccine, then you'll know that the maths is saying where the money is, there's more likelihood of dying in that. And if they say, no, no, you, you're unvaccinated, your premiums are going up, and the vaccinated, you're going down actuarially, then we'll know, hey, we might have got it wrong. And I'm happy to be wrong, but I just don't like to be wrong with propaganda. I'd rather be wrong with facts. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. So that's you're what I'm have looking a look. for for the new year. Yeah, we've just got to have a look. We've got to, We've got to actually be honest with the New Zealand public. And, and another thing I'd quite like them to have in there somewhere is, is ivermectin a horse tranquilizer and should it be banned? Or is ivermectin a study that is in fact that someone won the Nobel Prize for before curing 
terrible illnesses in humans because when you hear people saying, oh, you've taken a horse tranquilizer and no, you can't. If you ask a doctor, could you prescribe me um, some ivermectin because I've got scabies, they mm. say, no, we're not allowed to. I mean, hello. Well, it's it's ridiculous. But, I mean, you know, that that was stopped for ridiculous reasons. Same with hydroxychloroquine. And, and many other things that were relatively cheap and effective for for actually combating COVID. Um, we were told lies. We were told well, lies were about that. Yes, and that, the reason we were told lies is because if you've got some emergency authorization use for some medicine, it's only available as the emergency authorization, is my understanding. If there's nothing else, well, as soon as you've got something else that's effective then, uh, hey, so someone's paid money to have that happen, is my belief. I'd, again, be happy to prove be proved wrong if the inquiry had that sort of scope in it that the government is looking at. And I guess, to be fair, I'm pretty happy about the change of government, even though um, that's, that's on a political level. Yeah, well, I, I'm just loving watching the freedom come bubbling back up into society where people could actually say Merry Christmas and not feel that they're being judged or... That they're you know they're saying something sacrilegious and awful, and we shouldn't be saying that sort of thing. We should be saying anodyne things like "Happy Holidays" or some other gay type of thing that that uh, you know that doesn't actually mean what it is. It, this is Christmas; it's not mm. called anything else. And uh, unless you're Jewish, in which case it's Happy Hanukkah. Um, but for everybody else, um, especially those of us with Christian faith, it's Merry Christmas. Yes, and um, long may it continue. Absolutely. I'm just, you know, really enjoying watching this government on a daily basis announce that they've actually done something, like they've repealed this yeah. act or they've done it, rather than coming out with slogans and saying we've, we're thinking about thinking about doing this. What we're seeing is actual actions and doing the things they promised to do. Yes, well, I'm actually really enjoying, and I'm, I obviously, by saying what I'm really enjoying, I'm obviously going to give the show away because I must be a nut job. But I really enjoy watching Parliament TV and seeing people have a go at Winston, acting Prime Minister, and have him give some witty rhetoric that is, in fact, as it should be in such a chamber. And, and I find this very entertaining. And I think Luxon couldn't have done better having Winston acting Prime Minister um, to take on question time. I think Winston is just a master of it. And uh, other than this last time, I've never voted for him, but I'm just watching this and it's giving me great joy. Well, hopefully there'll be plenty more joy next year. And uh, again, I thank you for participating in Cam's Buddies. And uh, I'm pretty sure the listeners think you're pretty awesome as well, Paul. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much, Cam, and hope everybody has a great um, Christmas. I think Christmas is a fun thing and it's good for families and may all the listeners have a great Christmas. Thank you very much. Good afternoon, Jack. Welcome to the last Cam's Buddies of the year. Hello, Cam. How are you? I'm fantastic. I'm always fantastic. You know, even if I'm not, I'm going to say I'm fantastic. Perfect. And the Perfect. reason for that is no one cares how you are. <laughs> no, they don't. <laughs> well, in bloke world anyway. I thought yeah. we'd have a bit of a, a, a lighter note for the last Cam's Buddies. And before we do that, I'd just like to thank you for participating in Cam's Buddies. Uh, you're one of the favourites of the listeners. 
you know, some of the uh, of the staff at, at uh, Reality Check Radio, they always send me, I hope you've got Jack on. I love Jack. So you've got a whole lot of fans you out there. To, you don't have to tell lies, okay? <laughs> I'm not. You know me. I never tell lies. We don't know. But, hmm, okay, that's interesting. Anyway, I don't know why they'd say that. Well, you know, because you're just a curmudgeonly old old bastard, really, who just um, gives his opinion and doesn't care what others think. Not that I don't care what others think. Um, really, I'm just sick of people being asked an, an opinion and not giving a true opinion. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And on opinions, there's two things I want to ask you. First thing is, what what was the best thing that you enjoyed this year? And it doesn't have to be political. It can be personal. could be anything. Uh, and the second thing is, what are you hoping for next year? Well, the first thing is um, my daughter um, getting significant, significantly better in her health. Oh, Not that's fantastic. Totally, uh, better, but significantly better and of course in the new year I'd like that to uh, improve but um, that's on a personal note um, on a political note um, I can't remember anything much good being <laughs> last year um, this year I'd like to see several things happen imagine just recently Winston Peters um, went up to Fiji in a C-130 Hercules you've flown yeah. one of those haven't you they're awful you things know, do I need to tell the listeners what it's like it's absolute bedlam. It's horrible. You sit in the it's back awful. there. It's noisy. They're the most wonderful planes on the earth. But even hardened troops, that have, that's what it was designed to take, amongst other things, uh, they even complained in the Vietnam War about what a horrible experience it was being carted around in the back of one of those. And here we are sending our Deputy Prime Minister, a Minister of Foreign Affairs, to another country in a Hercules when we've got but private business jets they could have hired at a fraction of the cost of taking a Hercules up there. Now, tell me why that happens. Well, and there's, also, there's um, two, the reason, pri- there's two reasons for that, Jack. Um, now, Winston was flying into Suva. Now, Suva's runway is 6,000 feet long. Yep. Right? It's very short. Like Nandy's, 11,000 feet. So a, a 757 can't land at Suva. And if you land at Nandi, you've got a three-hour drive to get to Suva, which is a ball lake. It really is. But I hear you. A C-130 is an awful way to travel up to Fiji. It's it's nearly four hours in, in the prop-driven hippo. It's uncomfortable. And even if you've got uh, hearing protection on, the rattling and that goes on just jars you to your bone. Oh, so, the crashing of hydraulics and so forth drives oh. you to misery. I mean, to be fair, yeah, I was only ever in um, Hercules for a very short time, and then they, they'd open up the back door and we'd all be told to get out at uh, about 5,000 feet. And you gladly did so. Well, yeah, it was better to be out and under the, under the parachute than it was to be sitting in the Hercules. Yes. Yeah, maybe he got up the sharp end. It's not so bad up uh, in the sharp end, but who knows? And yeah, they that, not have had room. <laughs> No, I'd have to check my facts, but I'm sure we have a business jet um, on in the private arena that could get into uh, Suva. Oh, there's several. There's several that would do that. So yeah, I agree with you. I, yeah, I've uh, actually been chatting about that with with some of my staff in the BFD today. You know, looking at potential replacements, and um, the, the the plane that probably makes the most sense, although range is a little bit limited compared to a seven five seven and capacity 
would be the military version of the 737 that was uh, designed for freight and passengers, which is used by the US Air Force, the Army, and the Marines. Uh, I think it's called the Clipper, but it's basically well, a that'd 7- be good, but, but why don't we just hire a local or charter a local uh, aircraft? Oh, I think a Gulfstream um, or something like that. Assault Falcon. Oh, I think we have Assault Falcon 7s. Faster, fly higher, fly faster, and they're sitting there, and it's a no-brainer. Our Prime Minister should be thinking about that going over to uh, Australia soon. Apparently, there's a bit of a dilemma there. Um, We would save so much money. Yeah, I mean, the reason why I suggested a 737 variant is because we've got the P-8 Poseidons, which is the same, obviously, the same um, platform. And so the skill sets are transferable between the two, two aircraft, but... But yeah, point taken. This should not be a difficult decision to make. We we should have our people going overseas representing us in decent aircraft, not some you know something you pile pallets in and push them out the back. Well, it sends a signal to the people they're going to visit that uh, New Zealand's impoverished and they can't even afford to send them over in style. I'm sure if they did a deal with a local uh, jet owner, they could even have you know New Zealand government or something written on the side to make it look at least reasonable. Well, you know people who can do that, don't you? I do. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I'll tell you yeah, what. Another, what how, how about I put you, you in said, touch with Winston and get get you to sort out his, um, his flights for him next time? Well, I think I could do that. Maybe you should. Mm. But um, on another note, I think we should just devolve the CAA and do what China does. Just go with the FAA, the Federal Administration and um, just pay them a fee and save zillions of dollars and deregulate so much stuff that's rubbish in this country. Well, maybe I need to put you in touch with David Seymour because he's the Minister for Regulation, and uh, he, he, I'm sure he would love to be able to take an axe to the CAA. Yes, well, he's probably got a hell of a lot more on his plate, but I'd like to see him get in there as well. Good luck, I say. <laughs> I'll, I'll eat him for breakfast. Ah, well, you know, um, he's he's not new anymore. He's uh, wise to the no. uh, to the to the behaviour of the civil servants and the bureaucrats, and you know all those perennial people who seem to always um, stay there, no matter which government is in. So, um, you know, we'll just set him loose on on yep. the CAA. That would be fun just to watch for just for the, the uh, yeah. giggles that'll come from that. Can you tell Winston to tell the Prime Minister to stop doing stupid things like getting the government to pay to learn to speak Maori? It's not that he can't afford it. All it does is bring in headline news and takes the real issues away from what we want. We know that it's peanuts and it's nothing, but he doesn't understand that really, if he'd have just paid for it himself, that would have been a better headline. You know, the stupid thing is, is the media have um, the media have twisted that because. That's the same courses that every MP can avail themselves of. So it's not something special. It's not something that's funded um, in any different way. He wanted to learn to Rio because he's woke. Good on him. But yeah, I agree with you. Pay for it out of your own pocket. Um, and don't, don't. Yeah, you know that and I know that. But he's got to stop drawing attention to himself for the wrong reasons. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, he doesn't often look in the mirror and, and reflect on where the cause of the problems are coming from. He's just young and inexperienced. Tell him to go talk to Winston. Everyone's young from where you're looking at it from, Jack. That is true. <laughs> Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Hey, hey, when you know all of your specialist doctors by their first names, you know you're getting old. Oh, dear. Or, or what about when you outlast the doctors? I've, I've outlasted several. <laughs> <laughs> Don't remind me. Yeah, well, you can't kill weeds, Jack. No, you can't. That's true. Well, once again, I just want to thank you for participating in Cam's Buddies. It's been a real pleasure having these chats, and I know the listeners really love it. So thanks a lot, and we'll we'll crack into this again in the new year. And Merry Christmas to your family, to for yourself, and uh, and a Happy New Year as well. Yep, my pleasure, and um, Merry Christmas to you. And if we can catch up over the Christmas break, let's do it. Yep, sure. I know where you are. You do. <laughs> All good, Jack. Thanks very much. See you. Bye-bye. Good afternoon, Marcus. Welcome to the final CAMS buddy for the year. Wowzers. We've made it another year. Another year. It's been fabulous. Hey, look, um, I saw your photo of your little goodie bag that you got um, from your cigar vendor today. I'm going to have to come over and see you. As soon as I get through this week, uh, we've got to catch up because uh, I'm going to help smoke some of those. They look, They look superb. You'll have to hurry, mate, because you know what I smoke cigars like, like, like they are, I'm a hoover on the end of it. So, uh, uh, you've got yeah, a special you'll, you'll, one for You'll me. need a hurry. You've got a special one I've for me. I've got a special anyway. one. Oh, yeah, sure I have. Yep, yep. It's very special, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm from, I am from West Auckland after all, so. Oh, so. Oh, no, we are, we uh, are cigars, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, that's is right. It, it's I not forgot. Cuban, is it? I hope it's not a dog rocket. No, 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 it's not Cuban, mate. Wouldn't do Cuban. No. I wouldn't. Well, I wouldn't do that to uh, one of our mutual friends. Exactly. What I wanted to touch <laughs> base on with this cams buddies for the final one for the year. First of all, to thank you for participating. Um, the the listeners love this segment. Uh, they love everything that, 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 that you guys say. Um, the truth bombs that keep dropping. The one that wonders never cease. Eh? They like us. Yeah, exactly. Well, we're likable people. But uh, what I want to <laughs> ask you is what 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 was the best thing that happened this year for you? And it can be personal, mm-hmm. it could be political, it could be business-wise, whatever. Whatever um, rips your undies on what, what's been great this year. And then the second question is, what are you looking forward to for next year? Well, that's, um, that's, that's a tough one. It's been an interesting year. It's been a good year, actually. Um, I've, I've had a good time. Um, probably on a personal note, the, the best thing that happened for me was I was allowed to go back to USA for a trip. Mm. Um, because they, they banned unvaccinated people for quite a period of time, and I think it was back in June or something this year. Um, they lifted, or May, I think it was, they lifted the ban on um, non-vaccinated people coming across here because I'm married to a USA girl, so she could go back any time, but I couldn't. So that was good going back there. It had been sort of three years or something, and I've got a young fellow who hadn't seen that side of the family. So it was really nice being able to um, travel again, and we... We had a great trip. We did a big road trip across USA from LA across to Illinois. So um, saw eight national parks on the way. Had a play with, fantastic play, time. Play with any guns? Played with lots of guns, yep. Um, my father-in-law has a good variety of different types of firearms, some that are interesting on their own. He's, he's actually, the, the one that had the biggest kick was a, um, a flare gun, believe it or not. Yeah. A flare well. gun there that we were shooting up in the end. It's like a double shotgun shell. It was like a missile. Yeah, 37 millimeter or 40 millimeter. Uh, usually 37 oh, if it? they're an older one. Yeah, it was it was a, a some German brand I, I can't remember, but man, that thing had a kick. It was mm. good fun. 
Um, and then obviously all the AKs and that sort of thing. He had a variety of different AKs, pistol grips, all sorts of things, and shotguns, and yada, yada, yada. So we were blowing up ten right over there at his place. So that was always good fun. Um, which is illegal over here, apparently. You can't have yeah, that. You, you know, can't have Tannerite in New Zealand. Fun. Too much fun. You could make Tannerite because it's very simple, but um, in buying no, the, ingre- no, in, no, in buying no, the ingredients, you'd get in trouble. <laughs> and Googling it on, on Google, you'll get in trouble as well. Well, yes, maybe. Yeah. Anyway, so that was um, that was a good good thing that happened to me this year on a personal on a um political note, I'd say the best thing that's happened this year is getting rid of the um the nanny state of um what was before and um and showing those people the A class and that sort of thing that we've still got a voice at this point in time. Um mm. and it was good to see that people used it, you know? Yeah. I'm sort of still a bit skeptical about the future with regards to that, but um where we're going, but at least we've got like we've talked about in the past, we've got a government that's making the right noises. Winston Peters is in there doing doing the Winston Peters things, and long may that continue, I say. I hope he doesn't get lost in the wind. And he keeps going along those promises that a lot of our, you know, our, our listeners want him to do. So we'll, we'll hold, him to the, um, hold him to account on that one. So that was the best thing politically. I think that was really quite refreshing, seeing how much that flipped across that way. So those, those are my two things that happened this year. You know, I've been watching Winston Peters for a long, long time, as long as I can remember, and he seems to have some some fire in his belly now. Uh, I'm seeing a different Winston Peters from what I've seen in the past, and the way he's acting, uh, the way he's reacting, and the things that he's doing now are different, right? Like the the if you have a look at the, I'm pretty sure it was his idea to have the coalition agreements signed and published. He's he's, he's less politician now, I find. I think mm, he's more statesman, isn't he? Yeah, he's more. He's more. Uh, um, I don't give a stuff anymore. He's more like you and me. He's speaking the truth, and he doesn't care who it offends. He's basically saying, "This is what I think, and this is how I'm going to play it." And um, it's working for him because I think people are sick of politicians. You know, they want people that are talking truth. They want people to actually get up there and do something. So I think it's working for him. Mm. I mean, he's uh, certainly is working for him. He's gone up in the polls I saw recently. Yeah, that's right. And last two polls, the Roy Morgan and the Taxpayers Union poll. Mm. So what do you want for next year? What do you want for next year, Marcus? Um, I want people to pay their bills, which will be a good thing for my business, Um, which I'm, I'm not scared that they won't, but um, I've had a good year business-wise as well. Next year, I'm hoping to get more of the same. Um, I'm in infrastructure, so um, we're doing large infrastructure road and jobs and that, and this government's obviously good for that. Long may that continue. Um, on a personal note, we're, we've got our um, yacht all ready to go, and we're looking at going off for three months over, over summer, um, just sailing around the North Island, and I'm working from the boat. So we're hoping that all goes well, and um, and then next year we'll we'll do a little bit more on our home, um, invest a little bit more money in it, and hopefully uh, by the end of next summer we're off the marina for good. So, well, that'll be that's um, um, that'll that's be gold. spectacular, yeah, spectacular, right? And then just yeah. sail around New Zealand and see places that you can't go without a boat. Yeah, I mean there'll be plenty of places to go. Nice little coves. As long as you, have you got um, have you got yourself uh, a Starlink uh, internet set up? 
No, I've got Wireless Nation at the moment, which is fantastic. It's it's good around New Zealand. Um, it's all Wi-Fi. runs off the um, Vodafone slash, I guess that's one network now, is it? Oh, no, that's Vodafone. Different. Anyway, um, it's good coverage all around, obviously not in fjordlands and things like that, but once we go blue water, we'll get Starlink, but I'm just biding my time on that because it's getting cheaper and cheaper and the service is getting better and better every day, so um, by the time we need it, it'll be well affordable. Mm. It sounds like you're going to have a fantastic year next year. Yeah, and smoking lots of cigars and drinking lots of whiskey, of course, as well. No, of course. What about yourself, mate? What are you looking forward to next year? Um, Well, I'm really enjoying this show. Um, Hopefully we can expand the show out a little bit, uh, maybe a couple of days a week. That'd be fun. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd love to take some talk back, but we're not quite there on the technology yet, but I'd be looking forward to that. I really enjoy, Mm -hmm. as I say, I really enjoy doing the show and uh, I'm just going to enjoy watching this government deliver things because they seem to be on a mission and it's refreshing to see that. And then hopefully I can sort out, you know, a few things around my personal life that would be a lot more happier. But I'm mm-hmm. enjoying I'm enjoying life. Um, you know, I'm getting uh, a whole lot out of life and I'm enjoying it a whole lot more. So um, as long as that continues, I'll be very happy next year. No, good on you, mate. I mean, I, I can see by um, what you're doing online and that sort of thing, you've got um, your tail up and your head down and you're moving forward, which is great to see. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. We, every, everybody needs to have a little bit of a shock to the system so that they can sort stuff yeah. out and, and move forward. So, you know, I've been through that over the last five years, a bit probably a bit longer. I've taken a, a fair yeah. bit of punishment and I'm starting to actually enjoy life now. So, yeah, I just want to keep on doing that. Everything's temporary, eh? That's what I tell everyone who's in a bad spot or in a good spot. If you're in a good yeah. spot, just remember it's it's temporary. So just yeah. keep working hard all the time, even even if it's going well. And if you're in a bad spot, don't worry, it's temporary. It's going to yeah, get better. That's what I say to people who call me up and want to talk about their, you know, tough times or whatever, and they're feeling depressed and some of them have been feeling suicide. And I always say to them, you know what, just remember this, right? Suicide's a permanent solution to a temporary problem. That's right. Exactly right. Everything. Mm-hmm. And, and it's it, it puts things in perspective when you start realising that everything is temporary. So things, no matter how bad they are or no matter how good they are, it's it's you got to remember the good stuff as well because otherwise you, you imagine life's just going to be easy, you know. But well, you know, life isn't easy. Life you've is be, tough. You got to be on an even keel the whole time, you know. Mm. I mean, you know, I get this in politics. People say, "Oh, if we don't do so, do this, we'll never get rid of this government." Well, I've been involved in politics for over forty years. And um, you know, every three years we get a chance to toss them out, and we do. Yeah. And we've lived through worse governments. I mean, it was pretty bad under Ardern and Hipkins. You know, in terms of mm-hmm. financially, it, it'll prove out in in history that what they did and uh, was perhaps the worst management of the economy since Muldoon, maybe before. Mm. But we still voted them out, and uh, that's the thing. Nothing's ever permanent. There's there, you know, eventually voters get sick of them. And it only took two yeah. terms to get sick of Labour this time. Normally Boy, though, did they do some damage. <laughs> yeah, but 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 you here's the thing in New Zealand politics, right? I call it a game of two halves. We have an election, mm. we get a government. That government it gets to play the first half of the game, which is three years. Mm-hmm. And they get to half mm-hmm. time, right? And if they've played like absolute dorks, they don't get a second half. 
they're out, mm-hmm. right? And and we've had that happen a mm-hmm. couple of times, uh, actually, with Labor governments, but we've had that happen a couple of times. But but most times, a government will get to play the second half, and so they get through three years, another three years, they've finished their six years, and now we get to say, well, do you get to have another game? And if we don't like them, they're out. And again, invariably, if it's a six-year uh, government, it's been a Labor government that's been tossed out. But by and large, most governments in New Zealand have lasted three terms. So they get to play a game and a half. And by the time they've finished the first half of the second game, people are over them and they don't get to play the full game and end up with 12 years. Uh, Keith Holyoke was the last person who did that. So it's a long, long time ago. That's why I'm a little bit sceptical about um, increasing to a four-year term because of what you've just described. Um, They do generally get another three years, which makes it a six-year term, so to speak. But Mm. it's sort of like a check and balance in the middle of it all where people can say, oh, are they tracking correctly? Are they going right? And they get to have a say on it, and then they get another three years or they don't. And then after, I mean, anything after six years, in my opinion, is um, that's cream on the top for them, you know, if they're... If they're able to stand for three terms, four terms, they've been a good government, you know? Yeah, I mean, three years is too short for a good government and too long for a bad government. Yeah, but the, the three years for a good government will be obvious, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, So exactly. they'll get another three terms. So, exactly. So that, it, it works out well. Yeah, we're on the same page there. So once again, Marcus, mm. thank you so much for participating in Cam's Buddies. Uh, you're a, one of the favourites. In fact, they're all you guys are all the favourites, right? Everyone loves Cam's <laughs> Buddies. One of your favourites. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Um, So I really appreciate you participating in this, and I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Matt, it's been a pleasure. It's been absolutely fantastic having a um, a little bit of a whinge and a bit of a um, debate online and and, and sharing our thoughts, and it's real good fun listening to the other guys as well and their opinions. Yeah. Um, And, yeah, I'm – Happy to be part of it, mate, and thank you, and I wish you and your family a Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and all that sort of thing, and come over and smoke some of those smokes with me. Yeah, well, I'll have some time after this week, so uh, we'll have to work it out uh, in between your sailing expeditions. Cool, mate. All right, mate. Thanks, Marcus. All right, buddy. Good afternoon, Jimmy. Welcome to the last Cam's Buddies of the year. Hello, Cameron. Good afternoon. The last one, the last oh. chance I get to rant on the radio. Yeah, the la- the last chance. Uh, but before we do that, I'd just like to thank you for participating in Cam's Buddies. And, you know, you and I have been chatting on and off for coming up to nearly 20 years. Uh, <laughs> I know. It's depressing how fast the time goes, eh? I mean, you were a cheeky bit, a bit of a cheeky bugger, and I never even met you before, and I started getting um, text messages and then Facebook messages from you. I'm thinking, who's this guy? And we met up a couple of times, and you know, every now and then we sit there and chew the fat, and uh, you know, we, we try and solve a few problems in the world. But I was just thinking about that, reflecting on that, how long you and I have uh, been talking to each other, and, and it would be close to 20 years. Yeah, yeah, it would be. It would be, definitely. Back mm-hmm. in the old blog days. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, what's your topic today? All right, so... I thought I'd just do something a bit nice and say what what's something that you what's something you that do you something nice yeah what's something that you really enjoyed in the past year 
and it can be personal, it can be political, it can be business related, anything, right? Whatever it is, whatever you know got you excited and made you thankful or or whatever. And the second thing is what your hopes are for the new year. And again, it can be personal or political or business or anything. Well, the best thing to happen this year was the total tossing out of Jacinda Ardern's government. I just <laughs> couldn't. It was just literally the best thing. It, it gave me so much happiness. And then, you know, watching this government come in, start kicking off all the policies that it promised. It's just, it's just been like such a relief. You know, like the last three years have been fairly hard mm. for various reasons. But then to see them just get thrown out at election and Arden out of the country it just has just been fantastic. And then seeing the, the meltdown from the opposition has just been the icing on the cake, really. It honestly, couldn't, New Zealand couldn't have coped with another, another term. You know, I look you back. Know, financially I, or socially. I look, yeah, I look back at the start of uh, of of this year, and Ardern resigned and and quit and vacated the country, and I hope she stays overseas forever. But I I wrote an update on my most famous article, which is called yeah. the good the good the bad and the ugly. And if I look at all of the various versions of it that I wrote over a couple of years. Those versions have had more than six hundred thousand people read them. <laughs> yeah, such was the taste for her. Yeah, absolute well, distaste that, from that, her. That blog, highly recommended reading. It's a, that's one of your best blogs, and I've read most of your blogs. Yeah, so, and yeah. the the um, outstanding. The funny thing was, is when Ardern resigned, I got a phone call from a well-known political commentator and and um, pollster, who said to me. Cam, you can take a bow. You're part of the effort that got rid of her, and uh, you fought the fight uh, harder than most. And you know, I thought, well, what? I just wrote a couple of articles, and I held her to account. And there's other people that have done far more. And it depends on the eye of the beholder. But people that I admire this year who have done amazing things or done amazing things over the last couple of years. Definitely the three ladies who created Reality Check Radio and Voices for Freedom. They're true heroes. You know, you know all these stupid Kiwi Bank um, New Zealanders of the year? You know, somebody should <laughs> yeah. nominate them because they have been vilified, attacked, demonized. And I know what, I know what that's like. But they've created an amazing community uh, of Voices for Freedom and this amazing radio station. And uh, I think that we maybe should look at hijacking one of those New Zealander of the Year awards and and, and having them uh, appointed a, a, as as a New Zealander. I mean, it'd be a hell of a lot better than Chanel Lau or the Pink Walrus. Um, so hopefully those awards will stop being woke and we'll start actually uh, having people who have made a demonstrable difference for a majority of Kiwis. I don't think those mainstream awards will ever stop being woke. Well, it's run by the media. Just the mainstream media just won't happen. But the difference with your impact is you've got a big audience and you've got a loyal audience who read all your blogs and mm. you know. And I think that that's why those a lot of your blog posts because you would have had a lot of blog traffic during the Arden regime. Oh, a huge amount. Blogs. Yeah, a huge amount during and the lockdowns. Probably, yeah, and that's. So, so you have a big impact than your local neighbour who has no audience, and that's why you get 
congratulations for speaking out, whereas the majority of the mainstream just went along with it, or if they disagreed, they don't speak against it. They're too cowardly. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. If you you want to influence people, you have to be brave because Kiwis are a great knocking machine. You stick your head above the parapet, uh, you're effective at what you're doing, you get walloped. And I got walloped in 2014. I got walloped hard. Big time. But I'm just looking at Elon Musk internationally, you know, speaking up for free speech, and look how he's getting walloped by the US government and so on. Yeah. You know, like, thank God he's so brave. Well, that's right. You know, he's rich enough to be able to do that. Because if someone wasn't doing it in his powerful position, it'd be so hard to fight. Well, it's easy to be compliant. If you look at Bill Gates, for example, he's got less money than, than Elon Musk. But he doesn't have any bravery. He he uses sneaky underhand methods to achieve his aims, whereas Elon Musk is saying, well, you know what? I don't like the way Twitter's run. I'm going to buy it. That's exactly what he did is he said that, I'm going to buy it. And then the board all quit and then he bought it. And everyone said it's going to fall over. It's not going to work. It's going to be terrible. None of those things came true. Not one yeah, single thing came true. Half he fired half the staff. Fired half the staff. Or whatever. Yeah. Or wasn't it more? It's insane. More. And it's still running it was, fine. Yeah, it was like two thirds of the staff. And he said, we can do this better. And it is. It's much better. Now, a whole lot of lefties, lefty suck holes have left, you know, Twitter. Good. Go away. Go somewhere else. We want free speech here. And we want not to be restricted on what we say and think. And Elon Musk is a is a hero. I mean, he's he's got his foibles. He's an international he's got some, hero for free speech. Yeah, he's 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 a bit wonky and a bit wet, uh, wet on some things, but by and large, he he knows what he wants to achieve. He says he's going to do this, and then sets about doing it. And you know, we've kind of got a government that does that now. We've, we've they've told us what they're going to do, and now they're doing it. And they're doing it. And the media and and the vested interests are wailing, you know, like air raid sirens, wailing. So we we know the government's doing things because of the hue and cry and the the waterworks and the run on tissues, uh, you know, all of those sorts of things. So we know that they're doing a fantastic job because of the wailing. When the wailing stops. Yeah, you know they're over the target, mate, when the wailing's louder. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) So the, the, the and, great thing is, is we can talk about this without without fear or favour anymore. We don't have to couch our terms. Cancel. We don't have to. Yeah, 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 yeah. We don't have to Getting worry about being cancelled. Your payments not made, or yeah, yeah. I mean, they'll tr- so, they'll still try, but you know, um, I think the world's or New Zealand and, and certainly the world's heading in the in the right direction, and we've just got to keep this up. And if we do this for six years or or nine years hopefully 12 years of embracing this freedom to have courageous discourse or even rude discourse. But if we embrace this, we'll get New Zealand back on track. And I hate to use Christopher Luxon's uh, terminology, but, but uh, you know, I think we're, on, we're starting to head in the right direction. And I'll be honest, I've been real impressed with Luxon. I mean, I, yeah, I have been, I've been too, you know, and, I, and I'm sceptical. Exactly. I was sceptical. I was like, well, is this going to be much different? But, it might be the support of Winston and, and David, but he he's stood up to the pressure and he I, I, I really admire him. I think he's done fantastic. He's you know, he's could be a real great prime minister. So well, he, he could so be. anyway, that that was my happy place in this year. It was mm. like just such a refresh, eh? <laughs> so what do you want for next year? 
More of the same. Well, yeah, more of the same. And I also would like to see interest rates come down. I, like, honestly, in my industry, it's getting slaughtered on construction. I'm seeing people really desperate, trying to find work for staff, people with no work. You know, building supplies down. You know, remember 18 months ago or two years ago, you couldn't buy your board now. You can get it easily. You know, it's just it's done. We have to see interest rates come down next year to to keep the building industry. Otherwise, we'll lose our whole industry to Australia. You know, like lose all the good staff. And we need some shovel-ready projects to get going. And so we just don't lose all our roading crews and experience to Australia again. Mm. So that's what that's really what I genuinely like to see next year is to see interest rates come down in more of the same direction yeah. of travel. Yeah, I think I think everybody wants to see interest rates coming down. Um yeah, it's been out of control yeah. um with a profligate spendthrift well, that's what uh, finance it. minister spray, spraying money around has caused the inflation and we've had to put it out, but it's it's hurt, it hurts young families and people with mortgages. Yeah, it's it like the reserve old rich people. It's like the Reserve Bank put the printing presses for money up on the top floor of the of the Treasury building and then just opened a window and sprayed <laughs> cash out willy-nilly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so by getting the inflation under control, we'll get the cost of living back into the zone and then hopefully see interest rates come down and, and pe- see people starting to do stuff and, and grow their business and grow the economy again. Like We don't, yeah, we have to see that next year. That's my big wish. Well, hopefully Not we will. 2025. So, you know, anyway, Jimmy, yeah. thanks heaps for participating in Cam's Buddies. The the listeners love this segment. They love all you guys. And, um, you know, I really appreciate you participating. And uh, hopefully you'll be here again next year when we kick off the new year. Oh, I will be. Thanks, Cam. It's my pleasure to rant and rave once a week. So, yeah, I wish you anyway, and your family. Yeah, I wish you and your family a great Christmas. A very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Thank you very much. Same to you. Okay, Jimmy. Good afternoon. Welcome to Cam's Buddies, the last Cam's Buddies of the year. Miles? Good afternoon. How are you today, Cam? Uh, uh, you know me, I'm always good. But as I said to Jack when he said the same thing, it doesn't matter how how shit I feel, I'm always going to say fantastic because no one actually cares how you feel when they ask that. They're just being pleasant. Yeah, but listen, the bottom line is let's focus on what um, went well in the past year. So being pleasant, yeah, that counts. That's exactly what I want to talk to you about, actually, instead of the usual fear. Um, I'm interested to know what you thought went well in the year for you. It could be personal. It could be family-orientated. It could be politics. It could be business. Uh, and then the second thing I want to ask you is what are your hopes for next year? What would you like to see for next year? Okay, well, I, I've been thinking long and hard about this, and I, I, I thought that the biggest positive thing for me um, was the whole election and the result of the election. I know that might sound a bit uh, sort of twee, but the reality is since the um, three parties announced their coalition agreements, for the first time in a long time, I've felt quite um, positive without that boom that uh, was seemed to gather over our heads much, much more than normal, especially during the Ardoon and the Hipkins years. So, yeah, 
that really made a difference. The, the election really made a difference. And the real difference is now seeing small things happen exactly as the uh, politicians say they're going to happen. And, you know, a good one for me would be the stupidity of the spending of the cycle lanes. That looks like um, that's going to be flushed away. So fantastic news there. Yeah, one of my, um, I was talking earlier to Paul, and he said one of the best things this year has been, you know, our regular Monday lunches with a great bunch of guys. And, you know, I've got to echo that and say, you know, that's kept me sane and on track. And, you know, we talk about all sorts of things. Sometimes it can be pretty um, grim, the things that we're talking about when people are facing particular issues or whatever. Um, But that group of guys, uh, you know, that we meet for lunch, and I said to Paul, I think it's nearly, it's over 20 years we've been meeting, you know, there's, there's new people that have come along and, you know, we met during the lockdowns and we broke all the rules and we we did all of those things. But that, that group gives me a huge amount of pleasure just for the mateship. And, you know, you've been coming along a couple of years. What, how have you found it? Well, I quite like the fact that it's an ability to uh, bear your soul, talk mm. about issues and get a good feedback on some of the issues and you know people are honest and forthright and I like that um, it's it can be difficult especially when you're facing some of the trickier things but the real pleasure is that I really enjoy everyone's company and I enjoy the tidbits and um, tales that they bring along um, each week so yeah, and I I would say that having social contact like that, we can talk about things that might be um, worrying you and also things that have gone really well, that makes a really big difference. Yeah, I mean, exactly. We, we, it's just so refreshing and you know that with the group of people around the table that there's decades upon decades upon decades of experience and there are all sorts of different problems. And we were able to, you know, get some advice or to get some clarity on particular issues. And some of the issues that we've been talking about with, with the guys are, you know, pretty harrowing, some of them. Um, Correct. But, but Correct. Um, you know, I think it's a, a, I think there's a lot of merit in especially blokes Finding a group of blokes that can get together, that can be relied on, and will die in a ditch for each other. Correct. I'm incredibly uh, grateful for for the friendship of those guys. I'm incredibly grateful for the support you've given me this year too, Miles. Yep, and vice versa. I recall several times where you have gone well out of your way, and I guess that's the nature of um, friendship, Yeah try and look after each other in ways um, that you can, that you're able to do. And sometimes it's small things, um, you know, um, washing your neighbour's windows when she's elderly and can't do them herself. Mm. Um, you know, small things like that really matter to people. And I, I believe, I'm a firm believer that charity begins at home. And, and by charity, I use the broadest definition of the word, mm. you know, look around to see how you can help people 
around you rather than, um, you know, donate to some unknown or far-off um, land for a, for a cause that's non-specific. I firmly believe, you know, look around you, help, help and talk to the people around you. It's, it's really a, a good thing to do. And what are your hopes for next year? Um, well, I think next year is going to be a really fascinating year. I think that, you know, we are going to get the opportunity to build and um, grow in ways that will be unrestricted by the, um, by the red tape. I think David Seymour is going to have a crack at cutting some of these regulations. Mm. You know, I'm particularly interested in regulations around um, building because I've got a lot of good mates who are building. And when I hear, you know, that people have have spent up to $200,000 on their development before they can even break ground, mm. I mean, I start to wonder where is all that money going and why are all those bureaucrats holding up progress? So that's the first thing. I, I On a personal level, a lot of my family are farmers and they've been doing it hard. I'd like a shout out to the farmers. They've been doing a, a stunning job. Um, they keep our country afloat. I'm a big fan of farming and, you know, I think these SNAs, these um, freshwater regulations, they've got to go. The stupidity of planting um, pine trees on productive land has got to go and we are looking, I think, very positive with the likes of um, Andrew Hoggard and ACT and, um, you know, I think National has got a bit of a farming backbone. I think they may have lost it a bit, but I think they're rediscovering that. So I'm really looking forward to some positive, supportive moves from the politicians to our farmers. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, so on a personal note, I think I'd quite like to see my um, daughter, she wants to go into farming, funnily enough, and... Personally, I'd just like to say that, you know, there are some farming, excellent farming cadetships out there. Mm. But when I look around, I'm horrified at how few cadetships or farm training places there are in New Zealand. And, you know, compare that with, say, for example, building or mechanics where there's a lot of opportunity for apprenticeships. Farmers seem to be getting the short shift. So, yeah, um, my daughter's looking at getting into a farming um, cadetship or apprenticeship, however you want to say it. Yep. And there are precious few places available. And, you know, maybe I should say that one of my hopes is that those cadetships and um, apprenticeships for farming get a lot more focus from the government to see what they can do to help. Mm. Yeah, I'm really pleased to see um, your daughter develop this year. You know, it's been uh, an amazing journey in just one short year, you know, for her. And it's so pleasing yep. to see her, you know, growing into and knowing at her age exactly what she wants to do and what, what her passion is for work. And uh, seeing that excitement build in her 
um, over this year, um, as she's been doing that, has been really pleasing. Yeah, I, I think there's something about work, and I think that, you know, if I could say that I really believe um, that getting people out of um, benefits and back to work helps with incredible uh, uh, self-belief and and builds esteem, and I think you can be really misled. And I really believe that any sort of work is is good, gets people out of the house, uh, gets people into a new social circle, gets people talking, gets people working, and, and they, people feel better about themselves. And I'd like to see some of what I believe was Labor's biggest mistake, and that was that huge increase in those benefits. I'd like to see some of that whittled down and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that the 90-day legislation is going to be part of that. So, you know, I, I really believe that work helps people no matter what, and I really feel for young people. I think that they may have been a bit lost during the COVID years. They may not have gone to school. They may have uh, gone off school. I think there needs to be some real stewardship shown in education, and I think um, ACTS Charter Schools policy might, might actually deliver something that's long overdue in this country. You know, Miles, I, I have to thank you for participating in in uh, in Cam's Buddies. Uh, you you get lots of comments from, particularly from the staff of Reality Check Radio. They say, "Oh, we love Miles," or or you know, it's amazing the number of people who say that. So, uh, look, I really appreciate you participating in it, and uh, hopefully, you'll be back next year for new Cam's Buddies, and uh, we can keep on you know, making a real difference to the listeners out there. They love this segment. So, um, yeah, really appreciate it. And uh, and I wish you and your family a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And, you know, maybe you and I need to go and shoot something in the uh, in the, in the holidays. Um, you know, my freezer's a bit empty, so uh, exactly. I could do with filling that up again. Exactly. Look, um, Merry Christmas to all the RCR listeners. I really think that you guys are the backbone of New Zealand. I like being able to share my thoughts. I'm not sure that everybody agrees with what I say, but you know, I'd like to say that it's worthwhile having um, this sort of segment where I'm a pretty ordinary bloke and I like I think about ordinary things. I know that, but I'd like to wish everyone a very extraordinary Merry Christmas, and I think that. People, if you if you are thinking about past, don't focus on the future. Focus on your family. Focus on um, treating yourself, um, doing something nice for yourself this Christmas, because you know you guys you really deserve it. And I echo that too, Miles. So thank you so much for participating, and uh, we'll catch up in the new year. Merry Christmas, Cam. Merry Christmas to you too. Aren't my buddies just awesome? I am so blessed to have such a great bunch of mates to share anything with. And of course, they share these things with you as well. I wish all my buddies a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Tell us who you think is the best of Cam's buddies and why by emailing inbox at realitycheck.radio or text to 2057. RCR is on a mission to revive Honest Media 
And now you too can be an integral part of it by joining the RCR Foundation Members Club. Receive exclusive benefits only available to club members, including your own backstage pass to join the hosts for interactive behind-the-scenes discussions, along with our all-new daily curated news summary, RCR Bytes, that's delivered to your email box every morning, keeping you on the pulse of the news that matters in just a few minutes per day. To find out more, visit realitycheck.radio slash members to see how you can join the mission that's making a difference. Making a difference. Our text machine is now live. Send us your thoughts by texting your message to 2057. That's 2057. So get in touch with us now. Right, it's time for the mailbag. This is the last mailbag of the show and this year. Some general feedback, including some seasonal well wishes. We've got Catherine who says, just a quick note to say, Cam, you're great. I love listening to your show and the political panel on Friday's breakfast show with Paul Brennan has been one of the highlights of my week since it started. Your insight and wit are truly a joy. We, husband and I, just love your no-nonsense and comedy show approach to BS. We'll be tuning in next week for the last shows for 2023 and can't wait for you to get started again in the new year. We've loved getting to know you on RCR. Best wishes for a very Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. And best wishes to you, Catherine, as well. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and your hubby. Mike from Foxton emails and says, Mr. Cameron Slater, the king of political analysts, and with such a huge knowledge of history and the ability to join dots and make extremely accurate predictions, you deserve the title king. I'm so proud to be part of the RCR family, and you are one of the reasons I will never back down in the fight to keep politicians honest and policies transparent. Take a bow, Mr. Slater. You really are awesome. Merry Christmas, Cam. Be close to your God and be so proud of all you have achieved this year. Well done. Cheers, Mike. Well, Mike, you're my most avid listener, and I give you a very heartfelt Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you as well. But I can't be the king because Jesus is the king. From Facebook, we have Lindley says, if you can bring enjoyment to people, you're doing all right. And I enjoy the crunch. Just wondering, does Cam not have any female buddies? Not that it matters. Merry Christmas, Cam, and thank you for lifting our lives via RCR. Well, Lindley, you should get in touch with RCR. Maybe you could become one of my buddies. But yeah, I've got a few uh, female buddies, and uh, I'm just trying to convince them to come on to the show. Now, some comments regarding, or a comment regarding Daniel Newman. It's anonymous, but it's an interesting comment. I totally agree with you about raised pedestrian crossings. Where I live, three raised pedestrian crossings will be made shortly, and I'm dreading the bumpity bump, bumpity bump, bumpity bump. I feel sure that through traffic will bypass our beautiful little town via the side street, which doesn't have any pedestrian crossings nor speed bumps. I think our town will become only useful for pedestrians, though I don't see how being propped up higher will be safer. It surely is exposed to and affected more by the windy winter weather. 
I think they're a big mistake and it will be regretted. I wanted NZTA to paint the pedestrian crossings with red iridescent paint to make them stand out and be more visible. I'd love to see the money spent on potholes instead. And another anonymous says, talking of raised crossings, try watching an ambulance in an emergency battling them. <laughs> yeah. Now, a comment about Simon Lusk's interview. Simon Lusk's comments about Cindy's loveliness, etc., was being the operative word. Never will I ever refer to as nice or lovely, ever. Blech. Great show. And a few comments about Cam's buddies. Mike from Foxton. Of course, has a comment. Hi, Cam, you asked your buddies about the financial landmines, and I believe it was the same strategy as Marston Point, sabotage. Surely Grant Robertson would have known what he was doing, and maybe it is part of an agenda to break the country. Labour did their utmost to ruin this country, and it would seem all to a plan. I'm no financial expert by any means, but I can add, subtract, multiply, and divide. And if you can do those things, you'll be able to see what's going to happen down the track. Anyone who went to school from the 50s through to the 80s would be able to make a good guess on how it will end. And yes, it will be all in tears. You're polite enough to call it mischief. I call it sabotage. Just a quick thought at stupid o'clock this morning. It dawned on me that the current MSM uh, another branch of the Labour Party and need to be disbanded by the new government and a whole new media platform put in place to be objective and unbiased. Just a thought. Nice comment about the media, Mike, but I just prefer just to see them fail uh, in the marketplace of ideas and uh, Reality Check Radio grows in the marketplace of ideas. Now, Beth comments and says, your buddies are great value cams, so much common sense. And Rosa says... Go, Cam. I'm learning to love your buddies with some honest truths. Finally, people speaking out fearlessly. It's great to hear and really refreshing. And that's it for our mailbag. This is The Crunch with Cam Slater. Conversations with a side of controversy right here on RCR. Right, that's it for the crunch this week and for the year. It's been a real blast and a dream come true for me. I love my job and so grateful to the three ladies who created this amazing place for us all. And not to mention all the people in the background who make sure everything runs brilliantly. But I have a very special bit of Christmas cheer for Libby, Alia and Claire. Thanks for believing in this. And thanks for believing in me. Thank you, too, to my producer, Bex, who makes things a whole lot easier for me. It's been a real pleasure working with you, and we've only just got going. And I have to thank Dave and Charlie, too, for making me sound awesome. You guys are amazing. A special thanks to Liz, as well, for preparing my mailbag each week for me. You're a real treasure, especially as you have to deal with a whole lot of hate mail occasionally. But mostly, I have you, yes, you, the audience, to thank for believing in RCR and believing in me. Hopefully, you'll all see me riding on public transport next year. Not on the inside, of course. You'll never see that, but rather on the back end of a bus. A huge thanks to all my guests as well. Thank you for trusting in me. I hope you found the interviews fun. 
I've had a look over all of my interviews, and I have to say there are three real standouts. My first interview was Winston Peters, where he apologised for the COVID excesses. And I really enjoyed talking to Gilda Kirkpatrick because of her forthright attitudes. She's an amazing lady, and I love following her on Twitter. She just drops truth bombs every single time. And my first interview with Casey Costello was amazing. She showed what a wonderful MP and minister she is going to be. And those are the three that I think stood out for me in the past year. Of course, you can send in what you thought were the best interviews to the inbox in the mailbag, and we can talk about that in the first show next year. But check out the replays over summer. Uh, I think you'll find them highly entertaining in retrospect. But for now, we've reached the end of the crunch for the year. It's been fun. It's been entertaining. It's been educational. I hope you found it the same. Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you and yours. Catch you back here next year. Don't forget, email those suggestions to inbox at realitycheck.radio for people for me to interview. And let's make this show the best political show in New Zealand for 2024. Stay tuned for a breakfast show repeat coming up next with features including money talks from my mate Fazan Irani and the indomitable and fearless Lindsay Perigo. I look forward to having you join me again next year for The Crunch with Cam Slater. Merry Christmas. You've been listening to The Crunch with Cam Slater. Remember, you can check out the replays for today's show on our website at www.realitycheck.radio forward slash replays. Tune in every Thursday at 4 p.m. for more with Cam Slater. Right here on RCR, Reality Check Radio.